Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Buckle up, my friends. Three hours of information. What else? Motivation and perspiration. Doesn't sound. We still got to work on that. We we still got to work on the. the, Well, you do have the the shovel in the corner over there so you can start perspiring. Yeah. Actually, that's the shovel we use. The shovel, yes. No, don't put it that way. Hey, welcome to the program. Again, uh, the Matt Townsend Show, uh, new show, third day, day three. Again, still in business. You guys haven't heard anything, have you? We're not supposed to pack our bags or anything. I am I just I see people whispering in corners do you, and stuff, do you? Well, but that's yeah, it. And whenever anyone comes to talk to me, I usually just like walk away so they can't, they yeah. can't fire yeah, yeah, me yeah. if they don't talk <laughs> to that's me. That's what I do, too. The minute we're done with the show, I go to my office and I lock the door mm-hmm. and I turn off the lights. <laughs> that's that's why we always have to contact you by phone. That's exactly right. Maybe that's not the best way to do this. You know, it's hard to keep a job in this industry. I don't know if you guys know that. It is. It's way hard to keep a job in this industry. Uh, do you guys hear about the news of uh, Brian Williams? Yep. Again, I I'm kind of sad. Well, I thought it was kind of interesting. He said he was going to take himself off the air for a few days. And yeah. I'm thinking, really? You are? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, NBC is going to be taking him off the air six months. Yep. Suspended for six months for misremembering. That's the word. By the way, is that a word? I think President Bush started that word. Did he? Yeah. Second, uh, <laughs> W. Yeah, W. Yeah. Uh, w. Uh, according, um, Deborah Turnus from NBC Universal sent out this memo to all the news people at NBC. We have decided today to suspend Brian Williams as the managing editor and anchor of the NBC Nightly News for six months. Mm-hmm. The suspension will be without pay and is effective immediately. We let Brian know of our decision earlier today. Lester Holt will continue to substitute be the substitute anchor for the NBC Nightly News. Do you think it's because their ratings went down? Yes. <laughs> I think they got hit. Yeah. And... Um, I guess they're called the Q scores. Is that what they're calling it? The trust scores. I guess uh, a lot of celebrities go, you know, pay close attention to their level, their Q score, their trust score in the media. And Brian's took a hit. But it should because he misrepresented some yeah. stories or at least is alleged to have. But, you know, the evidence seems to be there. But NBC's still investigating it. I guess they're going – they've sent one of their top reporters out to go get the real story. <laughs> So rest assured that's going to happen. Well, as you said there, he's not just the anchor. Yeah. He's the managing editor. Yeah. So, I mean, he's in charge of what stories they're going after for the nightly news. Right. And we had we had Robert Walls on uh, earlier this week. And exactly. It's a big deal. I feel bad because he is, the storytelling aside, he really is a talented personality. And there's people, yes. I mean, remember, this is, we live in the era of Snooky. And, I know um, the Kardashians. Yes, mm-hmm. and now he—I know—he's a newsman. He should be so far above that. Except, let's hope. But the average listener, the average viewer, doesn't always distinguish. That's true. You know what I mean? That is true. So 
again, it's it's sad, and I think he's. I'm sure he's he's. You know, wish he hadn't done it. Yeah. I mean, he is going to lose five million dollars because he makes ten million a year, and he's out for six months. Oh, but he's still getting five. Well, he's. I don't know. I know he won't get five because he's not going to be for paid six months. for six months. But the other thing everyone's worried oh, so about is can you rebuild your career? Yeah, you can. That's the tough part. Well, yeah, but I mean, um, yeah. Think of all the people that have come back. I mean, Geraldo Rivera made it back. People fall. You really want to go with Geraldo? Well, no, but, but people have a fall and they make it back. You know what I mean? Okay, okay. How far did Geraldo fall? Well, in, in fall units? What are you talking about? Um, oh, a distance. But he, he went from being a talk show host where people beat the crud out of each other on his show, a la Ricky Lake. Well, la... he was basically, you know, John Stossel now. Now. On tw- well, John Stossel's maybe a little old <laughs> to ask yeah. about, but I mean, on 2020. Yeah. Geraldo was the top reporter. Yeah. He was known for catching that story. Then he started going out and doing things on his own and, and comes up with yeah. Al, Capone's Al Capone's vault. vault. But then, and then they brought him back. Which, I mean, they and, hyped that sucker Well, I mean, so, I guess some would say he's not back, but here's the other thing Should about have taken it. an x-ray of that vault first. That's exactly right. Before you open a vault, always know what's inside. <laughs> if you're going to do hey, a national television. If you're a lawyer, you know the answer to the question before you ask but it. But there's that. I mean, we're a very forgiving community. And so I, I think people will easily welcome Brian Williams back if he just goes and, you know, and does his job and just, you know, f- truly gets over it, talks about why he did it. He'll be back. He's a talented man. Well, he he's somewhat apologized already. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if there's still another yeah. apology that needs to come out. Yeah, I just think you can't use the word mis- misremembering. Well, I I used that the other day. Yeah. I don't think Brian Williams has ever used that. Well, but, you know, I think that was his term. Was it? Uh-huh. But yeah. I think you also ought to call uh-huh. it just, I misrepresented. Yes, that's a better term. I mean, if you don't want to use the word I made up a bunch of stuff, then I'm just misrepresented. Well, he didn't really make it up, but it... Well, he embellished He it. was, yes, that he did. I mean, he. he I, I read that he had taken four bullets and. <laughs> Where'd you read that? Has three purple hearts. Well, and people just want to hear him say that he was wrong. That's you know, it. just straight that's up. All well, that's all we ever need. That's by true. The way. Hey, that there's is... a coaching tip for you. Everybody just wants to. Own they up. just want you to own it. Just own, own, own it. Mistake. And we'll yes. all move on. Yeah. Hey, by the way, there's even more talk now because John Stewart. I know. So John this is, Stewart, this is like stirring the pot. The plot thickens. <laughs> After 15 years, John Stewart is going to sign off of the iconic Comedy Central show, The Daily Show. Which is interesting because didn't he didn't he start that or no? Um, Colbert came from The Daily Show. Yeah, yeah. See, Colbert's moving on. John Stewart's moving on. It's a big deal because I mean, it there's is. some big stuff going down here yeah that's sad of in of itself two great shows that are coming to an end don't they want him to great shows that show great together somebody somebody had written about the fact that he was being kind of held up maybe as a host for meet the press or something that's possible but can you i i don't see yeah i don't see the comedy coming in to meet the press like john stewart does (laughs) on on the daily show they need some comedy no but i i think what's cool about what's happening here is i'm not cool but this is the point. It's, they're starting to be a blur. Oh, yeah. news. The Sunday shows? To entertainment. Yep. Oh. Yeah. In fact, uh, it's news detainment. No, it's called infotainment. Uh, somewhat yeah. infotainment. Uh, infotainment. On our show, we call it edutainment. That's what, yeah, some people call it. Yeah. 
We like mixing. Again, the shovel words. is over I'm there. very edutained. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. I once edutained. <laughs> now, did you hear about the big news for BYU? Yes. Well, which the – well, there's the Dave Rose news. There's Dave Rose. That Coach was already Rose. came out. Yeah, we got – yeah. There's but not news. only that. Yeah, but this is – come on. We have a we have a wonderful new facility yeah. going in next door to us. Yes. Even. You know what? I, I like to think of it as it's not that we are uh, – it's not that we're getting a new basketball facility. Uh-huh. We're just losing a road. That's true. A road that now, feeds to now, my parking space. I don't, yeah. it's, there's other roads <laughs> I don't to want get to be there. Negative. Give me a break. Other, I don't even use that road. Don't you? No. I do when but, there's emergencies. Uh, people who have come to campus before, they know that there's a road between the Marriott Center and the BYU Broadcasting Building, yes. which are it's right next tradition. door to each other. It's tradition. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, that road is not going to exist much longer. There's going to be That's a good. new BYU basketball practice facility built and in that area. Offices and suites mm-hmm. and areas for mm-hmm. the, the athletes to go study. Be I think tutored. it's kind of the only part I don't like about this, Play and I know games. it's going to be temporary. Yeah. Is all the construction is going to be vibrating this building oh, yeah. a lot? You know, I don't find that upsetting. Really? Because it actually. Well, it's going to be temporary, so. But it also kind of rocks you when you're like when I always like to have well, a, it's post like a massage show. chair. Oh, yeah. I like yes. a post show nap. Uh huh. And it just kind of rocks me to sleep. Well, and there you go. Once it's done, maybe the Matt Townsend team can go over there and play a pickup game of basketball. <gasps> oh, you know what? I, I, oh, watch out! Well, we got to have Coach <laughs> Rose in and ask him if we can do that. Yeah, let's do that. You know who? You know who's going to be better to have in is our next guest. Who's that? Doctor Craig Manning. Oh. he is BYU's uh, football team's sports psychologist. Basically, mental health. He's coach. their mental health coach, and honestly, good friend, great friend of the show. But just well-rounded, incredible guy. We're going to have him on. We're going to pick his brain about a lot of the stories you've been hearing in the news. You know, from Lance Armstrong. Sports people doing weird things. To Deflategate. We're going to try to understand the mind of an athlete. Hmm. Good stuff. Dr. Craig Manning will be coming up next. Thanks for being with us, folks. Remember, we can't do a show without you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Little David Bowie there, heroes. Uh, this is this is a subject I've wanted to cover for quite a while, but we had to have the right guy because if you don't get the right guest, you know it's just a lot of work. Uh, here's what we're doing: we've got Dr. Craig Manning joining us, and Craig is a, a great friend and a great friend of the show. Brilliant dude. He hates me to say stuff like that, but. Uh, he is basically the sports psychologist for BYU football. Mm-hmm. Is that what we'd call you? You're the mental health train, uh, strengthening coach. Yeah, I like calling myself a mental strength coach. Yeah. 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 Well, we need that. Yeah. Because we're, you know, we're a little flabby in the <laughs> mental side. Yeah. But you also, uh, you were a professional tennis player. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're the BYU women's tennis coach. I was, yes. Oh, but I just saw a video of you in 2015, I thought. I don't know, 2014? You know, I haven't coached them for a while, but I help them out. I work oh, do you do play-by-play, maybe? Did you talk about it? Anyway. Yeah. I was just watching. I'm thinking, <laughs> I thought he wasn't doing that anymore, but you were – anyway, it must yeah. have been an older video. Uh, and here's the cooler thing. He he works with everybody now, executives, 
training them basically on overcoming fear, which yep. is the the big killer to all progress. Yep. You're trying to you're trying to help people get better results. Yeah. Yeah, really at the core there's there's all these physical skills or technical skills in the business world, but there's also mental skills, the psychological skills that we don't always develop. Um, as you identify those and work on those, there's usually always a bump in performance. So yeah. trying to help people to get their mind in the right place and and accelerate the skill development. And when we do that, good things usually happen. So Is it – I mean, it's uh, so much of all things it seems to be just mental. The belief, <laughs> the confidence, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And yet it seems also to be the hardest thing to control. You know what? The more I do this, the more I'm just blown away. When we work on the mind and we get the mind right, what happens? And I I see this. I did this. I see others do this. We spend thousands of dollars and thousands of hours putting time in the physical side, and we just pretend that the mental is just going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Whereas there are real tangible mental skill sets that if we can develop, it's amazing what happens. And it's not that complex. It's just uh, – it seems like people are afraid of the mind a lot and they just want to kind of push it off to the side. But really, it's it's there's nothing to be afraid of. It's well, quite easy. And then it then it ends up because it's the harder thing. It also yeah. seems to end up being the thing that would haunt you the longest. Mm-hmm. It would keep you stuck in the, you know, the the hitting drought or whatever you right. call it. You're yep. stuck there. Or it seems to keep some athletes on the front pages of the newspapers, but not for their performance. Okay. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Those deficiencies, those skill gaps. Yeah. That, that's when uh, problems occur. And that, that's what I want you to teach us because uh, I mean, nobody – Nobody wants to be like Brian Williams on the front page for something mm-hmm. that wasn't great yeah. or Lance Armstrong right. for a DUI that he blamed yeah. on his girlfriend yeah. or she took the blame for it. Right. Um, so – but we hear these stories over and over and over. Is it – what is it? Like when you think of a Lance Armstrong mm-hmm. – I mean, you don't. You've never probably coached him. You've never got into his psyche, probably. But yeah. what is it? What is it that happens to somebody that wins seven Tour de France victories? Yeah, did so cheating. Yeah, it's a, there's. A, I mean, obviously speculating from a distance because yeah. I've never met the guy. But I think this is very similar to Tiger Woods, and yeah. people keep asking me about Tiger Woods. But we can see the behavior. Guilt comes from the past. Yeah. So this um, guilt and the symptoms of guilt are regret, frustration, and anger. But when you have something that you've done, like the uh, steroids use, and the world is basically saying, no, that's not okay, you're wrong, or with Tiger with the scandal and everybody saying, no, that's wrong, you you did the wrong thing. You yeah. have this guilt that's now in your subconscious, and you're kind of in conflict with yourself. And now you, you're in pain, in a sense, yeah. and you do the DUI and different things. You're looking to try to mask that. And, and the truth is there's some simple psychological skill sets that you can develop to help you move past that and move on. Um, but he's uh, – again, it looks like he's trying to cover up some of this pain that uh, he's dealing with and and uh, not really moving forward. Same thing with Tiger. People keep asking me with Tiger. Um, he's not going to be the same until he gets his mind right. He's, right, right. S- same skills. Uh, maybe his body's not in quite a good shape. But same skills, he knows how to play, but his mind's not in the right place. And, and then I guess, too, if your mind's not in the right place, your body would probably follow, right? Absolutely. So then injuries yep. probably go up. Injuries, Do you see that with athletes? Oh, I mean, 
75% of all illnesses and injuries is self-induced. Are they really? 75%. That's yeah. not just in the athletic world. That's everywhere? That's in life. You get a sore throat and you start telling yourself you're getting sick, you'll oh, be sick before you know it. That's my life. <laughs> you know what? It's really funny. I have every Valentine's Day, I have a really big event, a big date night. In fact, I'm going to make sure you come. Um, Great. And it's, you know, there's a lot of people there, but I always end up creating new content and it stresses me out. Mm-hmm. I usually don't ever get stressed out speaking, but that one really stresses me mm-hmm. out. And for the last four years, I've been sick. Yeah. And I'm like, everyone around me is like, you're just, it's all in your head. <laughs> but part of it is I, I don't usually feel stress. And the minute I do, I start manifesting sick. I, yeah. I'll, get the, I'll get the easiest thing I can get. Right. It's interesting because that guilt comes from the past and then fear comes from the future. So yeah. what happens is that guilt pulls our mind to the past. We yeah. feel that regret, that frustration. Then we stress and worry about how that's going to impact us in the future. Then our mind is jumping backwards and forwards, and that's when you feel that racing mind where your mind feels like it's just spiraling. Yeah. And it creates all that worry and anxiety, and you know, it wears our immune system down. Before long, you see it in, in our bodies and yeah. in, in our stomachs or whatever. You blow a gasket. Yeah. I had a girl just last night in my class come up and said, I've had stomach problems for my whole life. And using this journal that I get everybody in the class to use, she said, I'm for six weeks since I started using the journal, I've had no stomach problem since. You She's know. processing it. She's processing. And when we're in the present, there's no fear or guilt in yeah. the present. There's just action. There's just focusing on what you need to do and completely different mindset. Well, I guess that's the key. When you're in the masters and you're chipping uh-huh. to for the win, right. you're – you better be in the present. And if you read any of Tiger's stuff, I loved uh, studying him uh, in his earlier days. His mental discipline, the skill sets his dad had from the time he was five, his dad had him what listening to tapes and developing these mental skill sets. Yeah. And when he was in the prime, he was so in the present. Uh, there's a quote, one of the quotes I love. He said, I never think about the past. Uh, all if I'm thinking about the past, I'm not focusing on what I'm doing here in the moment, mm. and then I'm not going to be paying attention to hitting a nice high arcing two iron up there. Yeah. And but he's not doing that anymore because he's got this guilt that's always pulling yeah. him to the past. That's I think it's even subconscious. He's probably not even conscious yeah, of it. Yeah. He's not thinking of that. Necessarily. Yeah. It's lingering. Yeah. And it's just having an impact, and he doesn't realize. And then it seems like just like having a bad shoulder. Uh-huh. Or a bad whatever, it just keeps remember. It keeps reminding you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, it's remember? a memory. It's pulling you remember? back to that memory. Yeah. And every time he Absolutely. swings that arm, do you remember? And it, it reminds us subconscious because yeah. that's the thing. Most of us, I mean, we always hear you're not using one percent of your brain, but ten yeah. percent of your brain uh, is operating consciously, conscious right? mind. Yeah. And ninety percent subconscious. subconscious. So, so it's happening. You're using it constantly, yeah. but you're not necessarily. Aware yeah. of it, and people um, get afraid of that. Or, but it's not that complex. The the ten percent is the conscious, which we need for processing. Right. So you can either process thinking and solving problems, or you process wiring and what isn't happening. Yeah. And what the research alludes to is about ninety percent of the human race is wiring, meaning they're always focusing on what don't do this, don't yeah. do that, don't yeah. mess up, don't be late, don't get sick. Yeah. Instead of processing solutions, I I need to. Wear a beanie if you're bold like me. You need to. <laughs> it's cold. You need you need to wear a coat. Or the subconscious is really just a storage unit. Yeah, it's where we store our memories. That's why 
You know, Stephen Covey called it habits. I, I like calling it muscle memory. I love that. Because it's memories. That's that, right. That's all it is. You're storing memories. You just want to make sure you're storing the right memories, not the wrong memories. And your processing, I guess, helps the memory you store. It, depending on how you process will depend on what memories you store. So that's what you try to do with athletes Absolutely. is you're basically trying to li- have them live in the now mm-hmm. and, process and process so we can kind of flush – Yep. Healthier memories down that line. See, I don't know if you. I love this example. Working with one of the guys on our basketball team, and he shoots, a, you know, tons of shots in the summer. Just incredibly disciplined guy. Because we've all been taught that. Yeah. To get better, you got to work harder. Well, practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. It's one right. of the That's most right. erroneous beliefs of the human race. Yeah, we got to just keep practicing, but it's not going to make it perfect if you, you can keep actually practicing get worse. the wrong thing. Yes, if you're creating the wrong memories, you could actually get worse. It's huge. And he's shooting and he's shooting, and every time he missed, he would say something negative or get frustrated. And after about five minutes, I'm like, I got to stop you because you're doing what I did, and I don't want you to do what I did because I didn't make it. <laughs> and I said, every time what you're doing there is you're actually creating the wrong memory. And if you shoot another shot and he's got a guy there feeding him another ball, if that's occupying your mind, what are you going to do on the next shot? That's right. You can't do anything different. That's the very definition of insanity, doing the same yeah. thing and thinking you're going to get a different result. And I asked him, I said, stop saying say nothing when you miss. Say nothing. So you don't create the wrong yeah, memory. Yeah, and don't validate it with don't a word. Validate, right. So you don't create the wrong memory. And then I asked him, there was some, there's guys always watching him train because he's a bit of a celebrity on, on campus, you yeah. know. And I asked him to leave for a minute because I was going to get him to do some things. And I asked him every time he makes it to scream out, yes. Yes. So, so that's the <laughs> that's memory. Cool. That's the memory he wants to create yeah. and get in his subconscious. And he was really shy about it at first because he's a pretty humble guy. Um, but after a while, he started like making shot after shot. And he starts screaming it louder and louder. And he just starts getting on a roll. And it, that's I mean, this, so this cool. goes back to Pavlov's yeah. dogs yeah. in 1890. It's just fundamental classical conditioning and then and then i'm assuming that's then create with the neuroplasticity we always talk about yeah. on this your brain makes that the habit that's i love that you bring that up the mind is elastic it's plastic yeah. it's always creating new memories that's so cool we just got to make sure we create the right memories well and I, and I think and process i love your word processing because and this goes to every story this goes to the brian williams to the right. lance armstrongs yeah, to every one of us out there in listener land that keep making the same mistakes over and over again yeah. it's it's not enough to just try to be different you have to process and think and yeah. and, and work at a different a more subconscious level gosh love you craig <laughs> For me, this is so exciting because, again, it's we bring in a sports psychologist, and yet it's so apropos. It's so perfect with everything in the news. I mean, our politicians need to do this, our government, our legislators. Let's take a break. We're talking with Dr. Craig Manning, BYU's uh, mental strength coach. It's big because you're doing basketball, too. I'm working with all 19 sports, actually, really? in some way. I want to know about Kyle Collingsworth. Uh-huh. I want to know if there's something different about the guy that's hit five triple doubles. Absolutely, there okay. is. We'll talk about that. We'll also come back maybe a little bit on cheating, because okay. there's been a lot of cheating. I don't know if you've heard about it. Uh, yeah. A lot Sounds of cheating good. going on, not at BYU per se, but in the, the rest of the uh, other leagues of the NFL. We're going to take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. 
It's the eye of the tiger. Rawr. Right? Right, James? Give me a growl. <laughs> Poor James. Great music choice. Dr. Craig Manning is joining us. He's the mental strength coach for Brigham Young University. 17 different uh, teams and athletic. 19. 19. Yeah. Are you sure, Craig? I think so. Yeah. You would, know. Wrong. you would know. You would know. <laughs> hey, uh, have you ever heard of Kyle Collinsworth? Yeah. Good guy. <laughs> Five triple doubles. Yeah. He's amazing, isn't he? He's amazing. Yeah. Uh, he's he's a star. So what would take – what's the difference? But he's just, he's just a guy. Yeah, I know. I try to be careful what I say, but, you know, honestly, he is such a good guy. Is he? You know, you see this 6'6 specimen, you know, 6% body fat or something, but uh, – he is such a humble guy and such a hard worker, so disciplined and so willing to learn and, and want to get better. So all the success, that that whole basketball team, that's just the whole team, the staff, everyone, just quality individuals. So it's so much fun working with is those he, guys. I mean, because he's on the road to basically beat Shaq. I mean, yeah, it's a, I saw that. It's, it's a yeah. big deal. I know. In triple doubles. Yeah. And yet he's not Shaq. Yeah. So what what do you sense? I guess his goodness. What mm-hmm. sets him apart? What what does he have that the other average, the other thousands of six foot six? You know, hopefully he's okay players. with me saying this. But I work with I work with some you know work with a lot of the athletes here at BYU, and I've got a few professional athletes that I work with on the side, and and he's one of my favorite athletes. He's one of the most disciplined. Is As he we really? talked about the the mental side of things, he does what he he uses the journal. He does what. What the science tells us we should do, you know, the research says we should do a little bit of mental strength training, you know, f- three to five times a week for yeah. about 15 minutes. What I've learned is just do it every day. If you really want to be yeah. good, just do five to 10 minutes every day. It's your mental hygiene. You have to shower every day right. to wash the dirt off your body. What are you doing to wash the dirt off your mind every day? And that's a process you, you're suggesting he yeah, do every day. And, and there's a tools, you know, that they, I get them to do just some really simple tools that so they're occupying the mind yeah. and process processing the right things and, and then evaluating themselves to create the right memories. And they just do it every day. And, and I got a few athletes where they do it all the time. They text me each night they're, what they're doing well, what they need to do better. And they're just relentless at it. And he's one of those ones that he just does it. And honestly, you know, I work with some Red Bull athletes. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to be able to be with them and, and help, you know, so I've had an opportunity to work with, a, you know, a dozen guys that are number one in, in the world. And they're Red Bull. So, I mean, yeah. talk about mental. In the, but Kyle Collinsworth is one of those guys that is doing the things he needs to do to be That's amazing, cool. you know, yeah. whereas a lot of other athletes, they'll come and I'll work with them and they do well and they're great, you know, and, and they do well. And then as soon as things start going well, they mm-hmm. get a little, you know, undisciplined on the mental side yeah. because – I don't know why. Maybe because we can't see it. It's not as tangible. But they stop doing it, and then the performance drops off, then they come back again. Yeah. And it's this constant cycle. But Kyle's one of the ones that just keeps doing these mental things all the time. Do you, do you think it's a – I mean, having just raw talent, if you had to choose average or, or, or a, you know pretty high talent, mm-hmm. but high, high, high mental aptitude yeah. and, and focus, or off-the-chart talent and yeah. moderate mental focus – yeah, how I always say it is, somebody that's really physically gifted um, and doesn't do and develop the mind. There's a there's a plateau where they're going to get to. 
somebody that doesn't have the physical talent but has a great mind, they can really develop and really maximize and really do amazing things. But when you get both, those yeah. are the LeBrons and yeah. Derek Jeters and those are the great ones that really do amazing things when you get both. And even as I say that, LeBron, I felt like, really was deficient mentally in some areas for quite a while yeah. and is only just really developing some of those lately. Um Michael Jordan is one of my favorite. He had the athletic, and he just was so good mentally. Yeah. He just kept getting better and better. I mean, that's it. that was it, huh? He really had the mental advantage. And he and just keeps getting better. That's the yeah. thing is, like Kyle and, and some of these guys, is there's no finish line. The best never think they've arrived. The that's best cool. always want to get better. There's always that progression that they want to get better. When you work with these guys, the best, do and they, they haven't arrived, do they still find it exciting or – I mean, it seems like the minute you're starting to get bored, and this is for everyone out there, yeah, whether you're that. a pro athlete or not, the minute your job is no longer interesting, yep. it seems like the coast, that's the, the beginning path, of the end. That's the path of mediocrity. That's where we start to coast, and that's where mentally what happens, we get sloppy, and we start to um, process things that aren't really focused and dialed in. Yes, the best, I think more than anything, the best get addicted to the progression more than anything. I think, you know, growing up, I got addicted to tennis. Yeah. But tennis was just the manifestation. I think the thing I loved the most was getting better. I loved going to practice each day. I loved practice because it was a chance to improve skill sets and grow. Um, the research says growth equals fun. Yeah. It's the formula. Growth is fun. It's the growth that matters. I think everybody at some point is involved with a team or dance or something where they're pretty much the top dog. I think when you're number one after a while, it gets a little boring. It's, oh, totally. It's not being number one that's motivating. It's the challenge of getting better that, that actually motivates us more than anything else. Do you um, – so LeBron, you kind of hold up. Michael Jordan, you hold up. Did you hear the whole uh, – that oh, – Daryl Dawkins, was it? And um, – Oh, no, Dominique Wilkins. Did you read that article about Dominique Wilkins and Larry Bird? I didn't. So, okay, smack talk. And I want to know the psychology behind the smack talk. (laughs) Because all you have to do is watch, you know, an NBA game Mm -hmm. or, I guess, any football game or just my little (laughs) 10-year-old. So uh, Dominique basically says um, he says he was brand-new rookie. Yeah, Dominique said he was a brand new rookie in the in the league, and he his first game he went up to <laughs> so crazy. He went up to Larry Bird and puts his hand out to shake Larry Bird's hand, and Larry uh-huh. Bird doesn't shake his hand. Uh-huh. He's mentally tough, Larry Bird. Yeah, and his hands are behind his back, and Dominique's like, "This guy's a jerk. What a jerk!" <laughs> yeah, and then um, they're they're doing they're tipping off, and he's standing next to him. And he's like, and Larry leans over and says, "Why are you here?" Mm. Wow. So here's this rookie. Why are you here? Yeah. And and Larry says, I'm going to score 40 points on you. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. going to score 40 points on you. And the very then Larry gets the ball, runs down the court, shoots a three-pointer right over him. Cush. Makes it. Next play, Larry comes down the court, shoots a three-pointer over him. Cush. <laughs> makes it. And he kept saying, again, you're in over your head, dude. You, you're, not, <laughs> you're not supposed to be here. Then uh, Dominique's not going to have that. Yeah. So he then comes down. He has Larry Bird running back, backpedaling, and he kind of runs right over him. Larry Bird tips over, runs right into the pole, and um, he scores on him. And and Dominic kind of shows him and is so happy and, <laughs> and like, I beat back you, I beat Larry Bird that night went for 39 points, uh-huh. and Dominic still left the court feeling like he won uh-huh. because he didn't score 40. Mm, I love it. So the man – okay, there's all that trash talk. Yeah. 
and 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 you I saw a lot, you saw a lot of it like in the NCAA playoffs, the football playoffs and yeah. stuff. I mean, there's a lot of smack. The Super Bowl with yeah. Sherman. I mean, there's a lot of talk, and then you see Sherman go give the hand to Brady and congratulate him. What's the psyche behind that? You know, on first, there's two sides of that. First, talking trash. When you're talking, you kind of get out of your head a little bit. Okay. So it helps the athlete like a Larry Bird. It helps the Michael Jordan. To, when you start talking a little bit, it helps you to loosen up because you're getting out of your head and you're not worrying as oh, much. Oh, yeah, so it's not stewing. You're right. Just so when you, you talk about the conscious and processing, when you talk trash, it helps you to process a little more freely. Yeah, okay. So it helps that athlete. On the other side, when you talk trash to others, you're trying to get in their head so they're not thinking, so they're distracted, so they're not focusing on what they need to yeah. do, and they're distracted. So I, I actually think it's funny. I, to me, it's kind of the battle. I had a friend that I recruited to play tennis here years ago that uh, I call him a friend because we've been friends ever since, but I was the assistant coach, and I recruited him from Australia to come and play. And he was, better, he was younger and faster and stronger and everything, but at four all in the first set, I'd start talking to him. I'd be like, your serve is awesome. He'd start thinking about it, and then I'd break his serve and win the set <laughs> 6-4. It just as soon as you can get people to start thinking the wrong things, they're not focusing on their cues That's and it impacts their performance. So I think it's actually a fun part of the game. I've got There's a guy on the basketball team that I love. I'm, when he's talking, he plays better. But when he stops talking, I can tell he's too much in his head. Yeah, and yeah. so I've seen a couple of times I've said to him, you've got to keep talking because when you talk, you play better. Um, so he's just got to get it out of himself, yeah. right? And then when the game, I like the guys though. When the game's done, shake hands. It, it's just it's it's, it's a sport. You're supposed mm-hmm. to have fun. It's okay to ch- talk some trash and stuff like that. But be done with it when that when the game's over and you know and shake hands. And What's be the good. difference though between the one that you know that can't stop that compartment. get it done yeah. And, yeah. and and they don't yeah they just can't go shake the hand and those that do okay the ones that don't so the ones that aren't the, the ones, ones that, that just perform- would rather rip your head off because you just beat me <laughs> well i think there's there is definitely that athlete out there that talks but can't deliver yeah i think that's where the phrase a wannabe comes from they want to be better than who they really are so yeah. they talk but they don't deliver but the ones that are that talk about a good, like Larry Bird, Michael yeah. Jordan, <laughs> there's a definite strategy there. They're trying to be, they're being strategic and tactical with their trash talking. Whereas the other one, I think he's just talking to puff himself up and try yeah. to pretend that he's pretend like he's something. Yeah, trying to cover up his own insecurities there. But so. then again, like you're saying, the subconscious knows yeah, that you're just absolutely. talking it up. Absolutely, right? Yeah. You just. Yeah. Yeah, I like the guys that – like Babe Ruth basically was talking trash when he pointed to yeah. the fence. I mean those guys that can talk the trash and then deliver, that, that's, that's pretty tough. big yeah. time. Let's yeah. do this. Uh, we're going to come back with Craig Manning, uh, author of The Fearless Mind and um, BYU's mental strength coach for all 19 of their teams. I'm sure there's more teams that – the chess team, croquet <laughs> – he hasn't gone into them yet. I have worked with the cheer, the cheerleaders in have the you? dance. Yeah, they're great. I've unbelievably high performing. I bet, and they're nice. Um, <laughs> not not so much trash talking on the cheer squad, I'm sure. But we're going to take a break. Come back. Craig's going to teach us some of uh, some exercises that all of us can be working on. Just if you're trying to get a better job, trying to move up in your own profession, not even the MBA. What are some things we should be doing in our mind to have better strength? And uh, maybe a, a little bit better sense of self. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We will be right back. More right here on BYU Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, the morning show, we try to give you the headlines, the topics, and in the news, there's just there's always so many stories about, you know, sports and athletes and, and trouble a lot of times that they're getting into. So we wanted to find an expert that could come on the show regularly. Uh, Dr. Craig Manning is our guy. He is BYU's mental strength coach. Uh, works with a lot of the teams, most of the teams, in helping them, you know, get focused, get their head in the game. Also, um, he's 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 also just a great uh, sports psychology consultant, and he goes out, works with corporations around the country. What's your website, by the way, Craig? TheFearlessMind.com. TheFearlessMind.com. He's got a, a wonderful book, which, by the way, my teenage boy read <laughs> at age 18, and um, he can't. Let's quit talking about it, Craig. Really? Like, That's I'm really great. ready. He, he lives in Mexico doing an LDS mission in in Mexico, and I'm like, he keeps sending me emails and questions, and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to give you Craig's number. <laughs> That's great. Why don't you just – but it's, it's interesting. He's using – because he gets to do a lot of training right. with other missionaries, and he uses it. So he, really? your, your stuff is working oh, in northern great. Mexico. Thanks for telling me you that. You didn't even know that. <laughs> um, but in your book, The Fearless Mind, I know you have a lot of great exercises. Um, talk to us about what, what we're supposed to do mentally. What's, what's a couple activities? What's something we can do yeah. that just gets our head in the present, in the now? You know, the biggest skill, the first skill I would like to start with anyone, any athlete, business executive, I like to call it a can-do mindset. Nothing new there, but that can-do, that, that neuro process, the conscious mind is where the neuro process is happening. And so we're either processing negative thoughts, what we can't do, what isn't happening, what we don't want to do, which is worry. Right. That's never going to help us. That's the no can-do. Yeah. Or we're going to process thinking, solving problems, solutions. The can-do mindset, it leads to action. It leads to uh, a focus on solutions. But here's the most basic form. Um, Once that negative gets in, once the doubts and fears get in, it takes for every one negative thought, it takes three positives to counteract Oh, wow, it. really? So here's a skill that works so well just to own. If anything, if we own anything in this world, it should be our own mind. Yeah, I mean, that's all you got. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so we want to own that. We don't want to let negative thoughts or other people's thoughts occupy that space. And so I call it a power statement. I encourage anyone that's listening to have a power statement when the doubts, when the fears, when the negative occupies your mind. Have a power statement to squeeze that out. If you focus on the negative, you're just reinforcing the negative. Yeah, yeah. So instead of pulling weeds, focus on the grass. And so here's one, for example. It's nothing more than I can do this. I can do this. Say it loud. Say it strong in your head. You do that, you're occupying the space. It'll squeeze the negative. Is that what you were doing with that person shooting free throws? Yes. Was that? That's a power statement. A power statement. Here's one. My own personal one. When I'm nervous, when I'm walking up to a podium to speak in front of tons of people, uh, my heart's pounding, I tell myself, I got this. I got this. I got this. And I keep saying it over and over again. You do that, you're not allowing the negative in anymore. I did that. I did that as a kid and won a baseball game. It works. With my eyes closed. Really? <laughs> my best friend was pitching against me. This was for the championship. Like, You're being like, serious. You had your serious. eyes two closed. Two balls, two oh. strikes. And in my head, I'm thinking, I, I, I know I can. I know I can. I was hitting. I know I can. I know I can. I know I can. And he pitched the ball, and I closed my eyes. Yeah. And my bat hit it. That's great. I didn't hit it. My bat hit it. <laughs> That's but, great. I mean, I, but you I willed got this. yourself. That's will. I, yeah. I totally did. And it was the coolest thing because my, my friend was the best athlete in the state. Right. And 
they started calling me Reggie after Reggie Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was big league. But <laughs> That's great. I, I got this as a great phrase. But a lot of us would be like, ah, oh, this is going to hurt. Yeah. That's not a good statement. Yeah, or well, we're or, up there going, please don't miss, or yeah. I hope uh, this doesn't go out, or, you know, here's another one too, just for everyday life. That's in athletics. I, I have two that work for me. You pick your own because if it's your own, yeah, it it's got to be your words. But there's something that, you know, I'm getting older now. You know, no. I'm, I'm bald. Yeah. You look great. My health is, uh, so every morning while I'm shaving my bald head and I'm looking in the mirror, I keep telling myself about 10 times, I'll say, I'm healthy and strong. I'm healthy and strong. And if you tell yourself that, well, subconsciously, you will do things that will lead to being healthy and That's strong. True. Okay, what if you say, I'm, I'm slow to learn here, Craig, but what yeah. if I say, you've got a great ab? Your, your ab is awesome. Yeah, that, that's probably not motivating enough. No, if you say that over time, what what will you do? Well, I'll get an ab. <laughs> and that's like it's even with losing weight. People with weight, they yeah, always what do we say, say they always say I can't lose weight, I can't yeah. lose weight. Well, if you tell yourself that when you're driving down State Street in Orem yeah. and you get hunger pangs and you've already told yourself you can't lose weight, subconsciously where do you go to? McDonald's or Subway? Oh, that's right. You go to McDonald's every time. And then when that evil voice comes on the speaker and asks you what you want, you don't get a salad. You buy a Big Mac. And when they say, what drink do you want? Yeah. Do you want a Diet Coke? A Diet like, Coke. Give me a full-on full Coke. I want a full-on Dr. Pepper. And oh. I, give me the 44-ounce. Yes. Because you've already conditioned your subconscious mm-hmm. to rest- – and then you pull out and you're drinking the Dr. Pepper and you're eating your French fries. You're like, wait, what the heck? Yeah. I thought I was trying to get off this stuff. That's right. But and because, you're stuck again. Because you've already programmed your subconscious to do that. So you would say, I'm healthy and strong. I'm healthy and strong. I'm healthy and strong. And change it to, I can lose weight. Yeah. I am going to lose weight. I am going. I am losing weight. And if you do that, what happens is when you're hungry, you pull into Subway. And you get a salad or you get a sandwich. And then when they ask you for a soda, you say, no, just give me the water. So you sub, you got to ch- train that's the subconscious. Yeah. And, and again, I, I assume that's like what – that's what the athlete at the free throw line is doing. He's telling himself, I got this. If, if he knows this. he's uh, he's got a 60% free throw yeah. shooting average. I'd love to know what Carl Malone said to himself all those years. Wouldn't I'm sure he that? wasn't saying, I know. man, I hope I miss this. Yeah, I'm going to get a steak tonight. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. he was saying something there. You know he was. Yeah. Um, and, and you can take this. So if you're, if you're going out for a job interview today, <laughs> yeah. the guy's looking for a new job, I got this. I can do this. Is it ever going to hurt you? Confident and can, strong. Can, could that ever do? Do any damage to you no. if you believe in no. yourself. So that's the key. The first, the greatest source of interference to the human race is self-doubt. To counteract self-doubt is self-belief. We got to believe. We got to have that parasitic. We have to believe that it is possible. See, I love that because you're using your energy to, to begin with the thought, to change the thought that'll change the feeling, that'll yep. change the action. Instead of reacting to the doubt. Yeah. Be- develop a deep belief in what can be done. Did you hear that new story that came out about a Chicago Little League team that, you know, won the Little League title that just Mm. had its title pulled? I didn't hear about that. It was one of the first African-American, all African-American teams to win the Little League title. But in the end, sadly, the title was pulled because they apparently had cheated. So I wonder about this cheating. I mean, it seems like if you're confident and strong. Yeah, you don't need it. You don't need to cheat. But if you're not so confident and strong, then cheating somehow you think gives you an advantage. Yeah, if you don't have that deep belief in yourself. So this is why I love this. If you believe in yourself at the core, you don't need other things. You're secure and confident in yourself, meaning that space is being occupied by substance. But if you don't have that deep belief in yourself, you're insecure, you're going to do other things to try and compensate for that. So we want to fill that space at the core with just that deep belief, and then all of a sudden we don't need these other things. 
And and then you can know to your core, you got it. Yep. And I if can do this. and if you don't get it, you'll you do sh- it again the next that's time. That's right. You say, have yeah. the same mentality. You haven't handicapped yourself. Right. I guess that's the downside to cheating, steroids, all this stuff is you're not going to trick the 90% of your brain to believe that you got it. Right. Because you know you're doped up. The, the amount of research, I mean, I could go on forever, but the amount of research that supports when you get your mind in the right place, you don't need steroids. That's right. It's unbelievable what happens when you channel. Most people only tap into 10% because they're only using the conscious. Right. But when you develop the subconscious the right way, when you create the right memories, you can tap into all 100% of your mental capacities. And when athletes and human beings do that, it is unbelievable what happens That's every so cool. single time. And does it ever – I guess it never surprises you because I love it. the human abilities It does. Endless, really. It actually shocks me what happens. And I just wish people could see what I see on a day-to-day basis when I go from one team to the next or one biz- company to the next. And, and you, see, you see what it does when you get people – when people get their mind in the right spot, what yeah. happens. I just wish people could see it. And it's real. I mean and it's producing real results. Yeah. And it's – I mean, what? I, it doesn't even have to be like a motivational rah-rah thing. You're not. All you're asking us to do is have a, a better sentence that's more motivating. Yep. De- develop mental skills. And 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 do it like an athlete. Yep. Oh man, I you make it, it sound so easy. <laughs> um, so what's next? So you now spend all day. You'll go see a bunch of athletes. You'll yeah, pretty much each go hour is a bunch uh, of companies. Pretty much each hour is blocked off at BYU today. I'll go from. You know, I got to get down here in a minute with uh, swimming, and in every pretty much each hour, I uh, mm-hmm. blocked off so I know I'm coming for, and we'll go in and uh, whatever the coaches need, whether they want individual work or they want team stuff. We got great coaches here at BYU that just want to develop kids. Really, that's what BYU, the athletic department, we just try to make people better, and we're just so always cool. trying to develop skills. Coach Menenhall just. I, I love him. He's just a huge believer in this, and he's given me so many opportunities that really didn't have to give me. But uh, um, big believer in just building people and developing skills. And when you develop skills, that's what leads to high performance. That's, right. that's why we want you on our team because, <laughs> A, we're hoping we get some tickets <laughs> yeah. to the game. <laughs> B, no, we also we, – I want – we want those skills. We want those for our listeners as well. We may as well be benefiting the listeners at that level. Yeah. Um, real quick. Uh, what's the one thing we need to take away today? All of us out there in listener land, if there's one thing we walk away with, what should we remember from you today, Craig? Can-do mindset. Have a power statement. When the going gets tough, when things aren't going well, when you wake up in the morning and you just feel like a train has run over you, you have a power statement. I can do this. Yeah. This can be done. I can overcome this. I can be healthy. Just a can-do mindset. That's awesome. Yeah. Craig Manning's his name. By the way, go to the website, thefearlessmind.com. And uh, check out his book, The Fearless Mind. Again, if it changed an 18-year-old boy's life, it can change yours. Plus, you'll get more ideas like the can-do mindset. We're going to have Craig back uh, many times on the show, pick his brain every time we get a new story from an athlete. Or any time <laughs> we just feel a little down and we need some insight. Thanks again, Craig. Thanks, Appreciate, Appreciate you, man. Thanks. We're going to take a break, my friends. Uh, come back and get into it. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up. We're going to be talking about net neutrality. You've probably heard... That legislation that's coming down, or at least that uh, is being pushed by the FCC. Interesting stuff we're going to talk about. More and uh, and more tools, more ideas right here on the Matt Townsend Show.
Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Another day. Ah, another day. Isn't that great? It's Thursday. James, you feeling good? Feeling so good. It's you Thursday. look you look great. Thank you. No razors at your house? Nope. <laughs> I mean no offense. Oh, of course not. I mean no offense. Hey, uh, big day uh, today. Thursday, President Abe Lincoln's birthday. Every Thursday? Every Thursday. It's Abe Day. Not every Thursday. Today, we're celebrating Abe Lincoln's birthday. That's true. Isn't that great? We got a cake? No. Is there balloons? You could go get us some candy. Candy machine. Just an idea. What do you get? What Joe kind of candy is appropriate for Abe Lincoln's birthday? Um, well, I know we were going to play with Lincoln Logs later on. Um, are we? Yeah, that was the plan that we were all going to get together. And yeah, I think I think we put the kibosh on that. Oh, we're really? Not doing that? What? Well, we I didn't go, get the memo. We can go in the conference room and watch the movie Lincoln. Um, you know what? Let's just not. Uh, here's the deal. Joe Cannon's on today. True. Joe is a student of Lincoln. Yes. So he's going to walk us through, you know, what we need to know. Like, we've, if you've seen Lincoln, you know a lot. Interestingly, by the way, wife had depression, mental health issues. He was a little depressed, depressive type of man, yet one of the greatest of all time. Tells us a lot um, about mental health. Last night, I had a really killer opportunity to go speak with a group of people, all parents who have lost children. They've all they've had children die, sudden infant death syndrome, stillborn. Uh. And I'm telling you, honestly, a great honor, great experience, because I learned that the amazing power people have to overcome. They just you go through the biggest trials, it's, you know, you're going to overcome, you know, maybe not everything. You can't overcome everything. As I've been looking at the news, some of the political news, some things I'm not sure you can overcome. If you're Jeb Bush, for example, and you dump a bunch of emails out into uh, the world that happen to have a lot of people's personal information, you might be in trouble. That sounds like it's a that's a problem. That might be something that's really difficult to come back to. Did he dump the emails on purpose? Well, he, in an effort, he says, in a spirit of transparency, Okay. I'm posting the emails of my governorship here that he put on his website. Some are funny, some are serious, some I wrote in frustration. Some also contain the email addresses, home addresses, phone numbers, and social security numbers of Florida residents. What? He didn't mean to say that, but that's what happened. Oh, no. He was trying to be transparent. He posted all these emails as a governor. Jeb, Jeb, yeah. Jeb. And lo and behold, there's a lot of very you know personal information now that kind of went out. But he said, in the spirit of transparency, I'm posting the emails of my governorship. Yes. They then reviewed the emails. Everyone who has ever contacted me via email. Yeah, in spirit of transparency, he should also release his social security there you number, go. home yeah. address. Yeah. Yeah. In equal play, I will now give you or, if my personal else, medical record. He should yeah. offer to pay for some, uh, you know, uh, what, the anti- some identity protection, identity yeah. protection yeah. for those protection. people. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Um, in the emails, some people that were sharing religious parables, praise of the governor's support of creationism, 
routine bureaucratic correspondence, but some emails appear to be highly sensitive or personal. Many, like the one that we're going to talk about here, share a tale of struggle. In somebody's email, it said, this is just a sharing today. I feel beaten down, want to help many, and hope that I can get there someday. Uh, Through my empowerment, it will be a testament to my message and the ability to share my future resources. It's a lonely road. So many seem actively against you. Your back is to the wall. You have many other two months of business. I, I only have two more months of business survival or something. The person was very depressed. It was a very confidential communication. They're beaten down. At 37, I feel like 60. Hopefully tomorrow will be better. You know, this feels like the Sony leak with all of those yeah. emails, but without it's, the hackers. No. Like this was almost as if Sony voluntarily released all of that information. Right. It's, it's more yep. like – yeah, it was like kind of email suicide. Yeah. Why would you well, do that? Well, it wasn't suicide. It was, a mass ma- it was a massacre. Yeah. Anyway, you know, poor guy. He's trying to be transparent, but it didn't come out quite right, did it? Yeah. You know, I think running for polit- uh, running for political office is a nightmare no matter what you do. Even if you're a, a seemingly, you know, you're the elect one. Like Clinton's, you know, supposedly on the road to winning, right? Yeah. By the way, hasn't even declared her candidacy. I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys know that. Yeah, but I mean. But it's she, inevitable, right? Yeah, she's Clinton, you know. So Here's the dilemma. She can't raise money. She's struggling raising money. So what do you do? Don't you think that the moment that she announces her candidacy, though, that she'll just be able to just like steamroll it? That everyone's like, "Okay, here's take my money." Well, you but that so. that depends on who the backers are. Because well, if, you if you, I mean, you, I know a lot of people who keep saying, "Oh yeah, Hillary, Hillary, I'm you know Hillary, 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 Hillary." Yeah. But do those people have money, 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 money? Well, guess who has the money, 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 money in the Democratic Party? Is a lot of the it's the Clinton well, network. Well, that would be the Heinz family. Well, and the Obama <laughs> network. But so some Mr. of the Kerry. biggest backers now are kind of battling. Yes. Mm-hmm. Between Obama's backers and Clinton's backers, and Clinton is trying to shore everyone up to get behind her, and they all kind of in front say that they are, except they aren't necessarily as tight as we may think. Hmm. So now you're the heir apparent, and your name is Clinton, and you still. Maybe can't get – and by the way, she didn't poll well in Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh-oh. She's She's you know, she's still trying to, to apparently win over the Democratic Party. So everyone's not sold on Hillary either. Mm-hmm. So you know what I would suggest? Follow Hillary. Follow Jeb Bush's lead and start just re- sending out – Send some emails out. Send a bunch of emails. Of the people close to you. She was in the Obama administration. She's got to have some really interesting emails. She was Secretary of State. <laughs> Put those out there. Yes, she was Secretary of State. Yeah, full maybe, transparency. Maybe we could get some Social Security numbers of you know foreign people. In the effort of transparency. Hey, by the way, did you hear about the XL pipeline? Uh, what about it now? Passed. Congress passed the XL no. pipeline. Okay. Passed. Done. Both now, houses? No, well, yeah, apparently didn't the I think the Senate proposed it originally, didn't they? I'm not sure. And so uh, the Congress responded. Now it's going to the White House. Guess what's happening, though? I follow too many bills to you know remember which one was. This is the me. moment because this is one of the first times legislators have actually done something <laughs> in a long time. And there was not to much be negative, rejoicing. but now it's up there and it's going up to uh, President Obama. But he's probably going to veto it. He said he would. Yeah, but will he? But will he? He was that. See, there's a lot of no, bluffing going. Willie on. Willie was a president a few presidents ago. 
Yeah. William Jefferson. Yeah, Obama. Obama's in office now. Right. Oh, is that, is that how that's working? Yeah, 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 yeah. Check this out. 270 to 152 vote. Uh, but here's the problem. They're still short of the veto proofing. Yes. You have to have two-thirds to do yeah. that. So if, uh, if the president, the good president, vetoes this thing. Now, by the way, some of this is just symbolic, right? Because the gas prices aren't quite where they used to be. That is true. And a lot of people are complaining this may not create the job. But if you think they're not going back up to where they were. Oh, yeah. But some would even argue this, the Keystone XL pipeline. Those companies were making money. Oh, yeah. Hand over fist in some cases, I'll bet. In the end, here's the dilemma. It's all politics. And this has become a great symbol. But this is the first time we've actually had Congress start passing legislation, Mm -hmm. right, in a long time. And the president well, now has to act on it. And now we're going to see – because remember he keeps saying, send me something, send me something. So now it's up there. We'll see what happens. I, I, I'd love him to start talking. Wouldn't that be weird? They've been passing bills. Sure. Well, not, It's just that it's not bills that the press wants to talk about. Right. Or I mean, bicameral the, and the, signed the, by the president. Yeah, and, but not that they should be talking about them either. Right. I'm sure that you know they're just – See, it's politics. But this, that's why we wanted to go But back. when are we going to run out of money again? Well, it, that's, the, that's what I want to know. Well, the neat thing about the great United States, we can just print more. We just make more. Well, I I know I run out, you know, because of, you know, four kids. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, in the end, in the end, it's not about what we always think it's about. We want to fight about the XL pipeline. But really, we need leadership. Who better to teach us leadership than Abe Lincoln? We're going to take a break. When we come back, Joe Cannon is going to join us, a student, a scholar on Abe Lincoln. He's going to teach us what we need to know about the great president. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Happy birthday, Abe Lincoln. Young Abe Lincoln by Johnny Horton there. That's a great tune. That's one you don't hear a lot. We pulled that out of the archives deep in Classical 89. (laughs) That's good stuff. Hey, on the phone with us is our insider, Joe Cannon. He tries to, uh, to, you know, walk us through, maybe walk us off the Washington, D.C. ledge, help us uh, feel a little bit better about what's going on back there. Joe Cannon was the chairman of the Utah Republican Party from 2002 to 2006 and is currently the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, a nonpartisan organization dedicated to reducing the cost of driving your existing vehicle by opening up the market to cheaper fuels. But he's uh, also, by the way, was an assistant administrator at the U.S. Uh, at the EPA agency in 1983 and 85. Worked uh, and, and uh, worked in um, President Reagan's what we call that uh, office. What do we call that uh, team? I don't know what you call that. Administration. Yeah, election Administration committee. is the word. Yeah, he but, helped with the election as well. But he's also just a really, a really smart man and has researched extensively. Uh, the great Abe Lincoln. So we're so excited to have him on the phone. Joe Cannon, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I, I, if I could just, I never want to disagree with a host, but 
I, I really wouldn't characterize myself as a scholar of Abe Lincoln. Well, insulting lots of people out there, but I have read <laughs> quite a bit, and I'm a huge fan. You're so not a I, you're not I a scholar. Yeah, I'm sorry, Joe. You, you're but you again. If you've read more than everybody else, well, around us, you're a scholar. Okay. I mean, we, yeah, it's not a height. It's, it's not a height. And the chance there is a real scholar out there. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't want to, 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 you know, pretend I'm something I'm not. That's right. <laughs> hey, Joe, tell me about what what was your what was the draw to Lincoln for you? Oh, golly. Uh, well, first of all, happy Lincoln's birthday. Yeah, you too. And also, this year, and 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 unfortunately, in April of this year is the sesquicentennial of the assassination. Oh, really? Of uh, President Lincoln. So. Uh, there's a lot of history, a lot of things going on about uh, Lincoln. You know, Lincoln was just a great man. If you if you really look at all the presidents of the United States, and I'm sure I'm insulting a lot of people, and I myself have gone through, uh, you know, hero worship phases of Thomas Jefferson and yeah. James Madison and John Adams. But at the end of the day, there are two titanic figures that are in a category all by themselves, and that would be George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. And one was the father, and one was the preserver of the country. And uh, and I, so I've always wondered, how does a person become like Lincoln? I mean, how, how did Lincoln, not for anybody else, but how did Lincoln become like Lincoln? And really, it just turns out he was the right man at the right time. Uh, you, can, you can search his whole biography and Lots of people have done psychoanalysis, you know, psycho, psychoanalysis, and, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about him. But, but you know, at, at the end of the day, his uh, his personality, his brain, his uh, his uh, capacity to lead and to deal with other human things, all of that came to and his tremendous uh, resolution, his fierce, fierce uh, devotion to the notion of of, of the United States. Where did that come from? Well, it's, 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 you know, today we hear a lot about education and the importance of education. Are we grading the right things? Are we right. teaching the right things? Lincoln had literally a few months of formal education. Wow. His education came through reading and experience. Yeah. He was a self-taught person, and he was consumed with the founders. He uh, a hugely influential book in his life was Parson Weems' uh, biography of George Washington. There's, there's a lot of mythology in that, but it, but it, it, you know, I think he came to know and, and believe certain things about the character of George Washington that played a role. Uh, the Bible and Shakespeare played a huge role, uh, and and he he read. Uh, so so he was self-taught. That's amazing. I mean, is it? Because it really, it would have to be almost, and maybe maybe it was this influence of the book uh, on Washington. I mean, to to be studying that when there was so little history about the United States at that point, that's influential. Then the Bible, then Shakespeare, and and then just his, I guess, experiences growing up as a young man. I mean, he he tried a lot of things, right? He failed a lot. He failed a lot. He, uh, I mean, basically served as a state legislator, I think, a couple of terms, and he served as a U.S. congressman for one term, I think. Uh, and he he failed a lot of things, and he had a lot of heartbreak. I mean, you mentioned kind of in your intro that he was, de- you know, had some depression, depression discouragement. He he actually 
probably was seriously depressed, uh, especially as he got into the uh, Civil War time. Was but, it more him, or uh, was his wife also depressed? Well, you know, uh, we could do a whole program on the marriage of, uh, you probably should. That's what Yeah, I mean, I think that would be fascinating. They, they were both depressed. Uh, it was a complicated marriage. Uh, a lot of people would say a dysfunctional marriage. A lot of people have said a dysfunctional marriage. Hmm. But if you read through their letters, their taught, their, you know, what they said about each other, it's clear they really loved each other. It was a very fundamental relationship. And, you know, a, a part of one of Lincoln's components, how this figure is, I don't really know, but he lost his mother when he was young. He was like eight mm. or nine years old. And he was going to marry another woman, and she died. He had a, a lot of, wow. uh, you know, psychic, psychic, psychological, you know, body blows. Right. Um, and he had a, a, a rough complicated relation with his uh with his father well maybe this created the empathy right the the insight the awareness to care that would lead to all the great stuff he's done i mean it opened up compassion well i think one thing it did and this is just me you know based on reading reading you know quite a few books about lincoln is uh he was what what a lot of people would say would be inner directed, you know, an, an extreme introvert yeah. in the in the in the Myers Briggs sense. In other words, he drew on his own resources to uh, uh, you to find strength, mm -hmm. and uh, that resoluteness was kind of the indispensable element to seeing the country through this horrible uh, civil war. Yeah. Oh, isn't that? It's just interesting how. Um how people emerge, you know, in a, in a way that's kind of, and it converges with what is needed at the time. And it, it's almost like he was, you know, made, created, well, I, experienced. I, mean, I, personally, I might personally think that he was prepared for yeah. just such a time as that. He came to think that himself, by the way. Oh, did he? That, yeah, that not, in a, not in an arrogant way, yeah. but that, well, gosh, maybe this is my job. And, you know, that. That it, so there is a lot of discussion. Was Lincoln a Christian? Was he religious? And you know, because sort of over the course of his life, if you pointed one, you know, slice here, or slice there, uh, maybe he wasn't so religious or uh, uh, identifying with a particular denomination. But it's clear in the arc of his life, he became more and more dependent uh, upon God mm. and the Bible and. You know, you look at uh, uh, his speeches were were not just shot full of of Bible quotes, but yeah. his last speech, the second inaugural speech, which is one of the most wonderful speeches, very, very short, longer than Gettysburg, but still short, was a sermon. It was a national sermon attempting to bind together the country and bind the wounds and, you know, full of references to uh, to the uh, Bible and to God and what does God think about, you know, a civil war where both sides are praying. Mm -hmm. And he sort of says, and both sides have got it kind of wrong. You know, he, yeah. he, he didn't just hammer away at the South. He said, you know, the North has blood on its hands because it, it reaped the fruits quotes of, of slavery. I mean, it was a, yeah. it was an, it's an amazing speech. Maybe, and, and of course, that with malice toward none, charity towards all. Yeah. And it, it was a wonderful, spirit-filled 
religious service. That's what it was. Oh, I love that. I mean, that's the goal. I mean, we always fight about, you know, which faith was he, which religion was he. But if he's being inner driven by a purpose that's, you know, in tune with spirit, then, you know, he's still going to live principle and he lived it beautifully. Right. Well, I, I, my own view is he became more and more religious and finally deeply religious. And it also followed, again, one of the arcs of his, his life was what did he really believe about slavery? Oh, yeah. And there's a lot, a lot of debate about that, but it's clear that he always felt slavery was morally repugnant. Right. But he wasn't an abolitionist. He thought John Brown was insane. Really? Uh, you know, his, view, uh, his view of it he was a politician in a, in a yeah. really good sense, the art of the possible. So, you know, if you follow his thinking and his writing and his speeches, you know, he gave a great speech, A House Divided. Uh-huh. That was maybe, maybe one of the seminal political speeches that he, that he gave. And then later, uh, was, I can't remember, that was in the 50s, maybe. Uh, anyway, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a great speech later followed by Cooper's Union. I'll come back and talk about the Cooper's Union speech. But if you look at the arc of his views on slavery, a lot of it was, well, what can we do? Okay, well, we don't want to expand slavery, so it's not going to come into any new states. Uh, wait a second, what about territories? No, it's not going to come into territories. Uh-huh. It's, it's always sort of, what was the art of the possible? But even in that arc, as he became more religious, I believe he became much more deeply concerned about slavery, and that led him to do some That's you know, politically phenomenal things. The Emancipation Proclamation yeah. and the 13th Amendment, those were evidence of his moral and political genius. Well, I, you know what? I, I love it, I, and I'm a big believer that, as, any, as all of us get more closer to the Spirit, Emerson taught it, uh, Thoreau, you know, the more, the more in tune you get, the more likely you are to probably hate an idea like slavery. You'd start to see the divine spark exists in everybody. And so we can't oppress. You can't do that. So powerful stuff. Let's take a break. We're again talking with Joe Cannon, CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. He's our uh, political insider and uh, is teaching us today as we celebrate Abe Lincoln's birthday. We'll come back. More on Abe Lincoln right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Marvin Gaye. Wow. A little tribute to Abraham Lincoln today. It's his birthday. How many years is he? Sean, will you look up and see how old old Abe Lincoln is? Very. Uh, let's go a little deeper than that. Um, on the phone, Joe Cannon, our insider, a political insider, and uh, not a scholar of Abraham Lincoln. But he has he, he done read more books than all of us. On Lincoln, and the main reason too, um, I wanted Joe to talk about Lincoln is he he. Anytime you have somebody that finally that that has studied and feels a connection to somebody like Abraham or Washington, I want to hear about it. I want to hear somebody that gets the inside scoop on Abe Lincoln, and our insider Joe Cannon's the guy. Joe, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks. 
I really. Was born, I, by the way, in 18, 1809. 1809? Yeah. 205 years old. Four. 204 years old. No, six. Well, Sean's figuring that out. Joe, tell us this. Myths. Probably 206 years old. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's the biggest myth you wish people would stop spreading about Lincoln? Oh, that's a good question. Um, or is there a myth? I, you know, uh, Lincoln is sort of relatively close in time. So, you know, there's, there's, uh, I mean, there's not a lot of mythology. He himself, you know, sort of promoted the myth, promoted the idea that he was a poor rail splitter, yeah. log splitter guy. But log in, cabin. in reality, he was. Yeah. yeah, he actually really was poor, and he really was a log splitter. So, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, he he. It was sort of his iconic way of describing him. You know, himself as a really a, a man of the people, which which he was. Um, I think one interesting thing about Lincoln, sort of, sort of not mythological, but looking at, you know, we talked last week about today's presidential election. Mm-hmm. The presidential elections were, you know, almost they were not, they were unrecognizably different than today. Lincoln never really campaigned to be president. Oh, really? You know, he, uh, he, he, he had people helping him out at the convention. How he got the nomination. He wasn't even there. No convention speech, no nothing. So his well, one myth, not a myth, but you know, quite a lot of people believe the Lincoln Douglas debates were presidential debates. And, yeah, right. And, and and they weren't. Of course, he was running for the Senate, and even then, running for the Senate isn't what it is today because the state legislature elected the Senate. Oh, but and so there was not a popular election. Yeah, he only had to impress and, thirty people or whatever. Right, but but of course, those thirty people or sixty, whatever there were. Yeah. They had constituencies, so they they had these Lincoln Douglas debates around the state, and they were long. I mean, not not like you know, it's a little soundbite thing. They would give like an hour speech, yeah. an hour response. Oh wow! But but that those speeches, even though it wasn't technically a presidential race, that put Lincoln on the political map as as a as a Republican Party person. So the Republican Party is only a few years old. There had only been one Republican candidate for president hmm. before Lincoln and, and that was uh uh oh uh Sutter, I guess. Anyway, it was uh so he was the sort of the second presidential candidate in the Republican Party. Hmm. And those debates kind of distinguished him and people said, Wow, he, he can defend our principles, he's smart and you know, so that got him uh, a big following. But the curious, not curious, in, in today's world, curious, the, the speech that really put him on the map politically and got him national recognition was the Cooper Union speech in New York City, which was just amplified by Horace Greeley, who was the leading newspaper editor at the time. And he became completely smitten with that speech. And that, but that was given in February of 1860. The year, the year that he got elected. Yeah, you know, so that's uh, it, yeah. He, you think uh, he would very interesting. So he didn't go building this incredible. I mean, it's almost yeah. Today you have to spend a billion dollars and build this name recognition and this i this this money raising engine. And back then he's basically just. Well, there was there was plenty of money. Probably not not in a good way. Going back and forth in many elections. I mean, uh, we think. Political corruption is new today, but, <laughs> no. but it wasn't the same. You're right; it wasn't at all the same. I mean, he had to be informed 
whether he even won the nomination. He wasn't there. Right. No big acceptance speech. You know, he had to be informed that he became president. Uh, you know, and there wasn't a campaign trail. He had what are, you know were called agents out there really pumping things up, and there were, of course, there were newspaper stories, and you know, there was a campaign of sorts. Yeah. But nothing like today. What What stood out for you as like what are some of his greatest moves? What are some of his greatest feats? What stands out when you think of Abraham Lincoln? I mean, Civil there, War. There are there are what I think are kind of two categories of things. One is his fanatical devotion to preserving the Union. Hmm. That was a really hard, hard thing, and it could have gone a lot of different ways. Yeah, uh, and it, the, the fact that he stuck with that vision through the bloodiest war in the history of the United States. A uh, lot of discouragement, lots of sniping. People hated him. Uh, he was vilified, uh, you know, a lot. You know, we we think back, you know, uh, of the Lincoln we think of today. But no, he was he was he, he was his character was assassinated a long time before he was. He had troubles in his own party. Of course, all of his cabinet officers thought they were smarter than him. Yeah. Uh, and he just stuck to it. He finally got a general, a really interesting book to read, by the way, that the, it's called The Memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant, and sort of seeing the Civil War through his eyes was interesting. But, but he finally got a general who could win, who knew what it took to win, and they, they did it. So that was you know, his fanatical devotion. Now, he, he was going to keep the Union no matter what. The second thing was his passion eventually that culminated in freeing the slaves, mm. so that that. But if you, so if you look back on his life, you just want to kind of the short history. You read the House Divided speech, which he gave at the Illinois State Legislature, which sort of kind of was the triggering speech when he ran for the Senate. Um, and that's where he sort of, maybe not first, but, you know, kind of substantially articulated sort of the, the need for union. And also you can't have be half slave and half free. Um, but uh, that's the House Divided speech, 1858. Then the Cooper Union speech in in, uh, in February of 1860, then the Gettysburg Address and the mm-hmm. Second Inaugural, uh, uh, all of those together give you you know now his speeches and writings are like nine volumes, eight or nine volumes long. I, I have those. I've read yeah. all, all the volumes, but but those speeches will and and will give you the insight into Lincoln, the, the who he was, what he was really thinking. What do you, what do you and, sense he would do today? So let's say he shows up at 206 years old, but looking great. <laughs> what, what do you sense he would say? What would he be, I mean, what, how, take his, you know, psyche and bring it to our system today. Well, in, in some ways we have a similar system. You know, it's a very divided country. It's very divided, not not geographically, but around some kinds of, of issues. Uh, the left-right divide is very deep. And, you know, I don't know. That's a really good question. What would he have done? Uh, of course, I think he would be a Republican, but, you know, yeah. uh, he, he was the first Republican president. Uh, but, you know, he, he his compassion, he... I mean, one of the biggest tragedies of his life is that he was assassinated. So, you know, he's inaugurated in March of 1865 and April of 1865, just a a few days more than a month later, he's dead. Yeah. 
Uh. And, the war, and the war only barely ended at the same time. All these things happened within, within 30, 40 days of each other. And his passion was to heal the country, to make the country come together again. He didn't want to treat the Southern generals and soldiers as criminals, as war criminals. And so that, that compassion reached out. And the tragedy is he was followed by a very small, petty, uh, so don't, yeah. really rotten guy. So, who, so he who, stretched who the country. Same yeah, he stretched him, and then the, the next president retracted it. It's it's uh, it's probably kind of we par probably for the course. For that. We might even be paying for that today. Still, yeah, isn't that interesting? Uh, yeah, what happens if you have three more years of of uh, Abraham Lincoln there? So I think he would have been he would have thought of himself as a healer. He, he would have uh, you know he he really was full of charity. He really didn't hate anybody. It's hard to find you know anybody that he would have animosity except. Hmm. To, possible exception might be his father early on yeah but uh but you know the whole idea was malice toward none with charity toward all i think that really those are almost his last his last public words uh i think that really captured his essence he could have hated the south i mean you know yeah he had, yeah bloody bloody war both financially and just you know emotionally more people were lost more of our more americans died that were wounded in that war that all the rest of the wars put together that America's been involved in. And uh, so he, he, there was a lot of possibility for bitterness, anger, but he, he did, I don't think there was a spot of that in his heart. Oh. Well, he's he, a great, great leader and example. Um, I appreciate you going through this with us, Joe. I mean, I know you got to go catch a flight, but uh, really, that's it. I, I mean, is that how you'd leave it? If you had, if you had, one, if you had one sentence... Uh, what he would was you a say? great, magnanimous, charitable being. Hmm. That's it. We were lucky to have him, and uh, we we probably all need to live the words: malice towards none, charity towards all. Joe Cannon, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Fly safely. Again, the rest of us, let's keep celebrating uh, Abraham Lincoln. What a great uh, gift he was to our country. And now let's start living up to it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Come back. When we come back, we're going to take a quiz, a president's quiz, up next right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Hail to the chief. Welcome back, everybody. All rise. We all please stand, President of the United States. It's funny how we've all come into the press room at the White House now. I don't. You know, it's funny. We transported there. I think <laughs> that uh, somebody once asked. It was like a Johnny Carson episode. Mm-hmm. This is how old I am. It, I remember Johnny Carson, but he's he's the guy but that really made you. me want to be on air. Uh, but I think it was, you know, that, uh, you know, the guy that he'd always, the, the, he'd put a turban hat on and he'd. Karnak the Magnificent. Karnak the Magnificent. Mm-hmm. And they asked some question, but it was basically, so what is the song that the, that they the play when the President of the United States walks in? Right. And all I remember, because I was probably eight, seven. Sure. Is he said, send in the clowns. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Who was president at the time, though? It was probably Reagan. I don't know. You sure it wasn't uh, Carter? It may have been. 
I was young. Okay. Anyway, uh, today we're talking about um, Abe Lincoln's birthday. Mm-hmm. And really, I mean, to have a guy called from his heart or his God to do what was right, go through everything he went through. I love the idea that he had depression. Mm-hmm. And there's no way. And so to me, that's pretty powerful. There's no way that didn't scope his ability to be president. I agree. So if anyone's out there in listener land, hey, we need everybody. It does, so if you're going through episodes like this, not that we need you to be president, but we might need you to just be a pretty awesome mom. We might need you to be the best school teacher you can be. And going through some mental health issues, it doesn't negate the chance to no, it does change not. the world or change your family. So, if, you know, that, the hypothetical question, if you ever have a time machine, where would you go? Mm. I, I would, would, I would go? love to see Lincoln? Lincoln's. Wouldn't that be fun to just follow yeah. him? Be the it, creepy yes. guy following him? Exactly. <laughs> Stalker. I, you know, if I could have a, if I could have a do-over, I'd love to see a few more years out of President. Wouldn't that be cool, President Abraham Lincoln? Yeah. If you could get a few yeah. more, mm-hmm. just see the impact that that would have had on the country. Uh, Sean's put together or found a president's quiz. So is this like actually? Yes, it, we it, have to figure out. No, it's just questions about different oh, presidents. I know. Okay, I'm horrible. Since President's Day is coming up, it's actually CNN's promotion of their of their uh, special that they're having. They're actually going to put six CNN anchors head to head. Yeah, on presidential on presidential trivia. trivia. And they're going to do that on Monday. Are they really on President's Day? Yeah, but see, the, I think it's. I think it could be a fun show. I think it could be a great show, except uh, there's a lot of trivia. There is. Who loved to eat eggs with bacon? Gonna, yeah. every morning. <laughs> they're going to do this for for charity. Okay, that's cool. Anderson Cooper is going to run the show. But so I what, think it, what, I think are, it could what be are some of fun. the questions? Well, let's start off with question number one. How's that? Let's go with number one. Well, John Quincy Adams reportedly enjoyed daily skinny dipping where the White House pond. The Potomac River, the Mississippi River, or the White House Pool? I think... John Quincy Adams. The Potomac. And then they had to build a pond because you can't have your president run naked in the Potomac. Exactly. Did they build a pond? Uh, I don't know. I think that's where the presidential swimming pool came. But yes, it was the Potomac River. Was it the Potomac? It was. Can you imagine just running down there in his robe? (laughs) That's great. All right. Who is the only sitting president to appear on Saturday Night Live... And deliver the famous opening phrase, live from New York, it's Saturday night. Okay. It seems. Richard Nixon. Okay. George Bush. George W. Bush, excuse me. Barack Obama or Gerald Ford? Interesting. Because they've been on the air 30 years, has it been? um, I think more than 30, but. So. I think it's 40. I'm going with Barack Obama. You are? I'll go with George W. Bush. Well. I hate to tell you both, but you're wrong. Yeah. It's Gerald Ford. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Who were the hosts Gerald then? Ford. I don't know. I, I don't know. It, doesn't, it would it have to be say. like Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd and those guys. Oh, well, oh yeah. The, the crew? Oh, yes. Yeah, How cool the, would that, that have been? That would have been yeah. John Belushi, Jane Curtin. They were awesome. Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, those guys. Mm. Now, though she was not from a majority party, who was the female candidate? Ulysses Grant. Ran against oh, mercy. in the presidential election of 1872. See, oh, I did not know we had. Uh, I'm going to call her. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, Melissa. Mel- okay, Melissa get, oh, Fawcett. Okay. Multiple choice. Yeah. Uh, so Melissa Fawcett, I think uh, predecessor to Farah. Oh, Farah's mom. Uh, Josephine Butler, Victoria Woodhull, and Jane Howarth. Uh, it's sister Josephine Butler. It's Jane Howarth. 
Everyone knows that. It's actually Victoria Woodhull. Blasted! Okay, you know, well. Oh! Not even <laughs> close. <laughs> okay, number four. The president doesn't pay rent uh, to live in the White House, but he does pay for something. What does he pay for? Vacation transportation, utilities, groceries, or gas? Wi-Fi. He pays for Wi-Fi. I bet it's laundry. It's it's he has a okay. That's not laundry. It's Neither of those is one of the <laughs> selections. He has to pay for groceries in his private apartment. Yeah, I'd say groceries. That is correct. Yes, all of his personal items get taken out of his salary, unless his groceries are on Air Force One. That's possible. Well, the nuts. Yeah. Then it's like ten billion. He doesn't have to pay for those, right? Complimentary. Now, which president's mother jokingly refused to sleep in the Lincoln bedroom because she was a Confederate sympathizer? Mm. Herbert Hoover, Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, or Woodrow Wilson? Woodrow Wilson. I say Woodrow Wilson too. Nope. Mercy. Harry Truman. Really? Really? Yes. Number six. Before he became president, John Adams defended British soldiers in what came came to be known as the Boston Massacre, which African-American runaway slave was killed during the confrontation? Ignatius Sancho, Joseph Mountain, Edmund Fortas, or Crispus Attucks? Crispus. That's correct. That one I, I knew, actually, when I took the test. By the way, not to be confused with Crispix, which is a great series. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, one of the most famous sayings, uh, his most famous sayings was, speak softly and carry a big stick. Well, yes. What did Teddy Roosevelt reportedly carry with him in the White House? A rabbit's foot, a gun, a big stick, or a Bible? Rabbit's foot. Gun. Gun is correct. <laughs> Holy cow. I knew he was a hunter. <clears throat> he always had a pistol. He had did that, he? he had, you know. Like a sidearm on him? That carry, conceal, concealed carry thing. Great. Uh, which president's father gave him a less than glowing review when he applied to Harvard University? <laughs> John F. Kennedy, Rutherford B. Hayes, John Quincy Adams, or George W. Bush? John F. Kennedy. Yes, yeah, JFK. That is correct. Oh, wow. His dad wrote to the dean that Jack has a very brilliant mind for the things in which he is interested. Jack's not always focused. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nine, which inventor brought in a new invention, a metal detector, mm. to help assist doctors in the care of President Garfield after he was shot? Alfred Nobel? George Eastman, Thomas Edison, or Alexander Graham Bell? Uh, who were they again? Last two. Nobel, Eastman, Edison, or Graham Bell? Edison. Graham Bell. It was not Edison. It was Alexander Graham Bell. Jeez. <laughs> you're it, on, oh, you're on it, CNN. It didn't work because Garfield was laying on a, on no, CNN? on a metal no. bed frame. I'll kill you, boo. Last you. question. What did uh, Harry Truman get up at 5 o'clock to do every morning? Morning show, radio show. Practice BYU the piano, radio. <laughs> read the Bible, write presidential correspondence, or running? Piano. Bible. Piano is correct. Oh, He would man. play for two hours. Wow. Oh, wow. That's hard to live with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there you go. Wow. Well, that Combined, was... you guys got six out of ten. Wow. wow. We're, not bad. Not, really bad. not bad. Good. Really good. Well, combined, I got two out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> it's just – that's sad. We well, don't know I mean, enough that, about that's, these people. That's very that's, – I mean, th this is trivial stuff about presidents. Well, but it's – but again, I mean, these people are humans. I mean, who gets up and plays the piano for two hours? If yeah. I played piano for two hours at 5 a.m., do you think You'd I'd be, be alive? <laughs> You'd be late to the show. I would be late to the show. <laughs>
two hours of that. Um, again, can you imagine being the president, though, and having to share your – I guess they've probably scripted. I mean they they, they, they kind of script their history, you know, in Somewhat, a way. Somewhat, yeah. They do. I mean they wouldn't sit there, well, what he does, he gets up and he – does these embarrassing things? They're not going to go tell you that. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Now that's the trivia. The president that would be walks around the house in nothing but a robe and yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with a coffee cup in his hand. And yeah. He, Spends all day uh, Saturday what's, what's watching Congress, cartoons. What's Congress doing today? <laughs> Who's the president that woke up every Saturday morning and watched cartoons till four in the afternoon? <laughs> that would have been me. <laughs> sad, sad. Well, uh, that's great stuff. And again, Marge. Yeah, Marge. <laughs> Hey, uh, here's here's just a a little a little ditty for you. Um, did you I got to get this out because I can't what? I can't get it out of my head. What is it? Would you rather be a president of the United States Don't or have much time. a billionaire with a super yacht that is one billion dollars? They just built the biggest yacht of that. all time, a one billion dollar yacht. And the the question that comes to mind is why. This yacht, because was it custom yeah. built for somebody? Oh yeah, okay, oh, that, that I understand. That. Yeah, but it's a one billion dollar price tag, and the sad thing about it is, it has to have its own, like uh, it has to have another ship well, boat that goes with it, just to kind of help it more and yes. get into these. Well, this is like as big as the Queen Mary or something, isn't yeah. it? It's the it's it would be in a competition. It's you know it would be it's like a building. It's like. Driving, it's you know, it's like floating in the Empire State Building. Oh, jeez, it's a big deal. Twenty-two meters. Is that right? Introducing the world. It's called the Triple Deuce. Anyway, the boat will be forty meters well, longer than huge. the world's current biggest super yacht. It's crazy. It's got like five floors. Yeah, helipad. Many, no, that's got more than. That's got like six or seven. A helipad. Really? Yeah. That's like a high riser. Uh, you know, or on the that, water. Is that like hella good? It's a helipad. <laughs> We're going to take a break. Uh, we're actually going to show Sean to the door. Okay. <laughs> then you'll have to Let do, him go take a nap. You're going to have to do a lot of the show by yourself. We'll here. have to do it a lot by myself. Um, here's the deal. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, good stuff, my friends. We are going to be talking about uh, tech and your kids, how to protect them online. We've got a great expert coming up with some wonderful tools to help us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Hope we're helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. One hour on the shelf. Two more to go. It's six after the hour, by the way. And uh, my name is Dr. Matt Townsend. I'm your coach, your guide on the side. On this program, we do what we can to help you find your good life. There's a million shows out there doing news. There's a million places you can go for information. We want to help you Build the life you want, the life you need. We want to educate, inform, and if we can, make it fun along the way. we got a great uh, hour for you prepared today, including a discussion about net neutrality, which is new legislation coming down that will definitely impact your life, even if it's pretty complicated and you don't know 
quite why you want to get involved. That's why we asked Pete Ashdown to come in because great it's guess. complicated to me. It is. It is to me, too. And um, it really, I guess, when you get into it and we kind of get rid of the jargon and the words, it starts to make a little bit more sense. Right. But it's a basically about how you're going to be able to access uh, access broadband and information and on the Internet. And yeah. so once we start kind of regulating the Internet, we've unleashed the dragon or the kraken. Let's call the Internet the kraken. Release the kraken. Release the kraken. Hey, uh, but before we do that, let's do a few headlines. One of the, one of the big news items, uh, it seems like President Obama – Maybe kind of uh, towing the line closer to seriously crushing ISIS. Well, what do you, you know, I'm wondering as I'm reading through this article. What, what do you just Just find? wondering what's going on. Well, Obama has requested war powers from Congress against they, ISIS. Well, which again, remember that there's always a debate about war powers because a lot of presidents don't necessarily go talk about it before That's they true. start it. And that is true. He's like officially. So you wonder if this is posturing. You like wonder, just saying, okay, I'm going to go ask because he doesn't always ask Congress for stuff, right? But uh, well, the president does is within his right to use you know uh, military force in certain cases yeah. for certain things without going to Congress. Yep. Um, but you know when it's a protracted sort of thing, you you've got to go ask Congress. You got to get her done, right? Well, That's by just the way, part too, of the checks and balances. And if you want to cover the blame. <laughs> I would spread it out really wide. Yeah, through over you know, yeah. maybe maybe another five hundred and thirty five people. I'd consult with everybody and I'd get everyone's opinion. And there then I'd know. have everyone sign off on it and then I'd go do something. Well, President Obama on Wednesday actually formally asked for a three year authorization for the use of force against ISIS. So he's asking for three years mm-hmm. all access. Well, he, to do he has specific ISIS. language in this request that prohibits enduring, this is a quote, enduring offensive ground forces, and it limits the engagement to three years. Okay. So he's, he's creating, this is actually fairly smart, right? He's, he's drawing boundaries. Yes, he is. For how much we're going to engage, how long. It, will, it won't be more than three years. It but, says that, well, I, I, I find it interesting that it's three years since he doesn't have that long in office. Yeah. It's the next president's problem. Exactly. But uh, the proposal says, quote, it would not authorize long-term, large-scale ground combat operations like those our nation conducted in Iraq and Afghanistan. It won't authorize those. That's right. Long-term. So I I think he might be posturing. I mean, I think what's happening, everyone's on him. Germany's on him. France has probably ticked. Canada's probably made a call. I think it's kind of interesting that he's asking for war powers. But yet he also writes in this that says local forces rather than U.S. military forces should be deployed to conduct such operations. Yeah. If you're asking for war powers, why are you saying somebody else should be doing it? Well, he's he, here's what I think he, he he needs to do. He needs to send some more people in. But he's basically been adamant about not sending them in. Mm-hmm. So he's controlling it. He's covering it. He's saying we're going to get local people to do it, but we're still probably going to have to add resources. And well, there stuff. are some Democrats that are concerned that that term, enduring offensive ground operations, is too vague. Oh, yeah. They want more specificity. That's great. And so they're saying, you know, what does it mean? How long? How big is enduring? Yeah. What's offensive when it comes to the Department of Defense? What does is, is I don't mean, know. mean? Exactly. Um, so, uh, but Senator Bob Corker, who's the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, said that rigorous hearings will soon begin. You know what? When in doubt, let's have a hearing. There you go. Let's hear it out. We need more hearings on this show. Okay. I mean, we haven't held a hearing. You know. You know. Forever. I think it's better if we have listenings rather than hearings. Nah. We okay. Uh, write this down. 
Uh-oh. Somebody write this down. Okay. James, you got it? Mm-hmm. More hearings. More hearings. Okay. Starting immediately. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll we'll start one over in conference room A. Yeah. By the way, could you guys do that during the show? Because I don't want to go to it. Okay. That's what I thought. <laughs> I hate hearings. <laughs> but I want to hold some. I mean, that's interesting. Again, politics, right? Oh, definitely. As usual. Definitely. Hey, um, did you see – and I, I've – my computer just died. Oh, no. Uh, Bobby Jindal. Yes. The gov- governor, governor of Louisiana. Louisiana. Did you see <laughs> – His picture? His his his. His yes. official government portrait. I did see that. Yes. If you haven't seen that, you've got to go on the. You got to go on the interweb. I'm sorry. Go look on the interweb, Bobby Jindal, and look up his his official portrait. Yes. Because the person that painted it has got to be an eighth grader. Because <laughs> that dude, I, I can tell you right now, it wasn't Van Gogh. It, the complaint is it or, doesn't or even look like Bobby Jindal. I know. And Bobby Jindal, uh, he's he's got darker skin, and this guy in the, yeah, the skin in, tone is the biggest thing. He's off. It is. It was a really bright, bright room where he did the well, sitting. But it, so is is it a nice thing? They just said, "Oh well, thank you, thank you," and everybody's just in the background is saying, "You know, that really doesn't look like him." Is that Bobby Jindal? But we got to be nice to this guy. You know, what, if if you if you move around and you squint and <laughs> you know. kind of you, oh yeah, now it kind of does. It does not. It looks it more like one look of like Mitt him. Romney's sons. It does. Yeah. What, what, what's one of his sons' and, name? And, you know, Bobby Jindal's a nice guy. He's a great guy. Yeah. But, I mean, let's let's have an accurate representation of You him. know what? Oh, would that not be so frustrating? Yes. I mean, I already – I'm the guy that ruins every photo. In fact, for this morning show, they want me to go take pictures. Yes. I, I would – I promise you, I would rather have a root canal than go do a sitting You with know, I have a photos. guy who does a fantastic job at root canals. That, well, can he take a picture while I'm having it done? <laughs> I'd rather have that. Do you want a picture of the root canal instead? But there's nothing more permanent than your official portrait as a governor. That thing's yeah. going to sit in the Capitol building. It's going to be there forever. forever. Yeah, and it's it's more like Mitt Jindal. You know, that's what you should have done actually. Instead of doing photography, maybe let's you should have, have some paint your portrait. No, you know what? A, let's not talk about that because <laughs> I do have a person that paints a lot of things about me. Oh, Perfect. Yeah. Just call them in. We'll get that set up. But as one that doesn't like things, I, I don't like pictures taken of me because I don't smile well since the accident. <laughs> it was a photography accident. Yes. It's traumatic. We call him the Joker now. <laughs> No, I just get I, I get psyched out. But I have a wife that is incredibly beautiful and incredibly photogenic, uh-huh. and we take pictures everywhere. So I've kind of learned to fake it. But when the whole focus is on me for 20 minutes in a photo shoot, and they're like, uh, Mr. Townsend, can you suck your gut in just a little bit more? <laughs> I can't. You want me to smile you and sure suck your, my gut in? Sure, that's not your kids saying that? Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Don't be rude. Because that's something my kids would say. Would your kids say that? Yeah. Well. To you. Yeah, they probably would. <laughs> it's funny because it's – anyway, whatever. Hey, we got a great topic coming up. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Pete Ashdown is going to be joining us. He is the CEO of X Mission, and uh, which is a Utah ISP company, a, an internet service provider. And he's going to be talking to us about net neutrality. The potential legislation around the Internet, folks, you need to pay attention to this because there could be some serious uh, legislation created and, I guess, just FCC regulation that might seriously upset your life. And uh, we're going to get into it in deep up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, a lot of uh, a lot of news out there, and one of the things we really wanted to focus on is some news that you've been hearing about with the term net neutrality. Have you ever heard that? On this show, we want to give you some insight into what that means. A lot of times in politics, there's a lot of great jargon out there, sometimes not necessarily to mislead or anything, but just maybe to confuse you enough to stay away. Um, it's it's an interesting subject, and we wanted to get somebody that actually gets it to come explain net neutrality to us, this legislation about uh, you know some, some Internet, uh, what do we call it? I guess just... Internet regulation, re- regulating the, the great Internet. Pete Ashdown is going to join us right now. Pete is the CEO of Utah's first and oldest independent Internet service provider. It's called X-Mission. He also has run as a Democratic candidate in 2006, uh, where he lost to Senator Orrin Hatch. He also ran again in 2012 where for U.S. Senate, but was defeated uh, you know, by Scott Howell. So he's he's politically strong and active, and uh, he also is an Internet service provider. So he has a, a vested interest in understanding this whole concept of net neutrality. Pete, are you there? Yeah, Matt, I am. Can you hear me okay? Yep, I can. You sound great. Uh, Good. We're Skyping Pete in right now. Hey, Pete, just to get started, may, maybe help us define for our listeners what is net neutrality and, and what does it matter to the average user of the Internet? Net neutrality is essentially comes down to discrimination uh, for financial. Well, that's the problem is discrimination for financial gain. Um, I discriminate on my network all the time. We, we try and block spammers and, and people who are trying to hack into your computer and, right. and denial of service. So there are technical reasons, very good technical reasons for um, discrimination. But what has happened with net neutrality is uh, in the case of Comcast and Netflix, Comcast decided, well, uh, we we have a vested interest in trying to protect our video product, and right. Netflix is is taking customers away from that. So we're going to get some of that back by holding Netflix over the barrel and, and um, charging them for that charging data them use for access to their network. So they were discriminating uh, for financial gain. And uh, before Netflix started uh, paying their extortion, um, <laughs> the, the, Comcast great. was actually lowering the priority of Netflix traffic. So Netflix customers on the Comcast network were not getting very good quality. Oh, so it wasn't streaming well. And then, then they called Netflix and like, it doesn't work. Interesting. Hey, yeah. I, and and there's, the, people have proven that they were actually um, actively – working to lower the priority of their traffic yeah. until uh, Netflix paid up. And so this, you know, brings up the broader question of, well, what's the Internet all about? Um, is it is it a place for the big players to get along or is it a place where anyone can come up with a good idea and, and have a worldwide audience? Uh, right. You know, in 2004, there was this this little website called uh, Facebook. Hmm, tell me about it. Uh, started in a dorm room. Yeah. And uh it, because of the power of the internet and, and the power of spreading a good idea, uh, and the fact that at the time nobody was discriminating against them, they grew into a billion-dollar company very quickly. Right. Um, so if if we are able to keep the internet open and free, um, then uh, good ideas can flourish. And, and now the FCC uh, wants to come in and and I guess settle this fight. 
Yeah. Well, the FCC commissioner has uh, stated that he is in favor of protecting net neutrality, um, in favor of um, protecting the openness of the Internet and uh, coming down on entities who uh, violate that principle. So in this example, you're not allowed to extort. <laughs> You're not allowed. Yeah. You're not allowed you're to not allowed pull to people over the people barrel. That's right, and especially when you're also a provider of content. I mean, that's quite the advantage. You have the channel and the content, where some just have the content. That's yeah. interesting. And uh, and the thing is, is I is I view it as, uh, you know, as an internet service provider, I need Netflix as much as they need me. Yeah. Right. Um, if I discriminate against Netflix. Um, the uh, my customers are are liable to jump off to somebody else. Now the thing that Comcast has going for them is in most parts of the com- uh, country where you uh, get Comcast, you have no other choice. Yeah. So it, fundamentally, I believe this is this is not a regulatory issue. Although we can solve it in the short term with regulation, I believe it's a competition issue. Yeah. That we have allowed um, uh, Comcast and and Time Warner Cable and and some of the other big players to. Uh, entrench themselves as the only choice for internet in a number of parts of the comp- in number number parts of the uh, country, and um, th- as a result, they are able to hold content providers over the barrel and say, "If you want access to our network, you got to pay us." Is this so? the The FCC then is using, I guess, it's Title Two or whatever to go in, just like they did with the bells and the baby bells, and 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 to to make sure that they weren't competing unfairly. They want to basically use the same approach here. Yeah, and and the depth of that remains to be seen. I mean, I I have had a a longstanding issue with uh, not only Comcast, but CenturyLink, and that CenturyLink doesn't allow us to use their uh, newer uh, DSL network to provide service to our customers. Comcast never has. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if the FCC is going to go in and say, well, you are providing an essential service and we want to see more competition. Therefore, you have to reasonably wholesale your network uh, to other entities so we can increase that competition. I would love to see that happen, but I don't that nobody's talked about that yet. Yeah. I mean, it seems like I mean, then the other argument is we've, you know, from the the big providers, we've spent billions of dollars laying the infrastructure and we need to somehow recoup our loss. Uh, they have, but they've also used uh, billions of dollars in uh, taxpayer uh, grants and credits. It's uh, true, huh? And uh, they've had a lot of regulation loosed with the promise that they would provide service all over the country. I mean, the, the 1996 Telecom Act, uh, the promise was made by the telcos that if you uh, – uh, don't regulate our digital services. We will provide a 45 megabit service to everybody. Huh. Well, that has not happened. And uh, I, I'm pretty tired of the promises, and I'm pretty tired of the anti-competitiveness. And, and I think that uh, uh, we, need, we need to take a turn for the market not, and uh, the citizens. Yeah. Do, do you – I mean, does it scare you um, – the Internet seems like something that's not easily controlled, and um, it's it, it seems like it's got kind of the frontier spirit, and the the idea that the government might step in and start making more regulation, start controlling some of this, does that worry you at all, Pete? Well, my first law of the internet is that you can't control the internet. Yeah. So I mean, that's, so the whole idea seems <laughs> ludicrous in a way. Yeah. You you have. Uh, I guess you're controlling uh, companies. You're not even controlling 
the content per se. You're just controlling the access. Right. And you have situations like in China where you have a, a totalitarian regime and you have the great firewall of China and they have tried to control what comes and goes on the Internet and spent hundreds of millions of dollars doing it and failed. However, um, in the United States, we are, we are talking about access. Um, we are talking about uh companies that are under the regulatory control of the United States. And and we're not talking about blocking uh, content as much as we are talking about deprioritization, slow mm-hmm. lanes, fast lanes, and things that um, are very provable on the outside of somebody's network. Um, yeah, because you could do that yes, independently, right? You could figure that in, independently that they're throttling you down. <laughs> right. And when that is determined um, – the, I believe the SEC can can step in and say knock it off and yeah. uh, allow access to that. And and on top of that, it, you know, the 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 argument that uh, you know we're losing money over these customers and, and Netflix is is really a threat to us and things like that. It's it's been shown that um, the cable companies are enormously profitable. Yeah. And every you know there was a Time Warner cable thing that came out last week that said that their margin on most of their connections is ninety eight percent. So they're That's okay. they're doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. And but I you know, I I want to see uh level playing fields. I want to see uh you know things like municipal networks. Here in Utah we have the Utopia network that X Mission uh, provide service yeah. on, and I think that is uh, a, a terrific model. Now, didn't the uh, government that, help with that as well? It, absolutely, the local the government built yeah. the infrastructure, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of people have uh, a lot of criticism for Utopia, saying, "Well, it's a it's a money loser. It's 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 been expensive." Well, so have the streets and highways. I mean, the, yeah, the right. highways the highways have, but they're been, necessary. Yeah, yeah, trillions of dollars of money spent, but nobody doubts their economic benefit, and I think. If people are saying that the internet is only for entertainment these days, um, you know, they've got to come into the 21st century and realize that it's an essential utility. So true. Let's take a break. I want to come back and talk about what this really means to the average user. What is the average user? Do we need to be worrying about this? I mean, again, it just seems like a bunch of lobbyists fighting over something. But, you know, it's crazy how one little toe getting in this uh, – Getting in this tub is going to create some serious issues long term, including taxation and uh, and and even like we were talking about earlier, access. More with Pete Ashdown, uh, former U.S. Senate candidate, a Democratic Senate candidate, and ISP owner for X Mission. Back with uh, Pete when we come back right here on the Matt Townsend Show. everybody to the Matt Townsend show uh, trying to give you some insight into this whole net neutrality uh, discussion arguments slash chaos that's going on back in DC uh, complicated as usual um, <laughs> when you take the complexity of the internet and all of its providers and the ISPs providing service and you know the needs of all of the users and then you combine it with the great bureaucracy of the federal government you have created a mix that uh, can only 
make things crazy and interesting. So we've asked uh, Pete Ashdown to join us. Pete is the CEO and founder of Utah's first independent and the oldest Internet service provider in Utah, X Mission. And he also ran against Orrin Hatch as a Democratic candidate in 2006 and also ran again for the U.S. Senate in 2012. He's very well informed and has a horse in this race. Uh, Pete, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I really um, I appreciate you being here because it's. This uh, it's it's complex and it's we want it fair and everybody really in the end, everything else aside, we want our Netflix. <laughs> just just get us a nice streaming of Netflix. Um, and is that in the end, how does any of this impact just the everyday user? I mean, the companies are going to fight, but what does it matter to just Joe Blow trying to watch Netflix? Well, when Comcast charges Netflix for access, um that money has to come from somewhere and netflix hasn't uh as far as i'm aware raised the price for any comcast subscribers um but it is an effect on their bottom line and it could limit them from lowering the price later or if enough uh internet service providers look at the comcast model and say hey we want our slice too and they start extorting netflix um they could raise the price up in order to accommodate that and stay in business. Um, the other thing is, is if uh, Netflix uh, doesn't pay up and, and an internet service provider is, is uh, throttling them or lowering their priority, then the quality of Netflix to the consumer is is not what it should be. And you know maybe they can't get that HD quality, or uh, maybe there's a lot of buffering and pausing, and they can't get through a show, um, and that affects their. Uh, the, the viability of watching Netflix and their enjoyment. And it's not, you know, it's not just Netflix, it's YouTube and uh, it's uh, Hulu and, and other streaming services. And this whole debate started, you know, back when I ran the first time in 2006, uh, a uh, CEO of AT&T said, we want our, our share of Google. Hmm. And they were just talking about Google, the search engine crossing their network. Yeah, some and, little podunky search engine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, going back to what I say, I, I, I think that's nuts because if I restricted access to Google, my phone banks would light up. You bet. M- yeah, because there's a demand. Be very upset. Well, that, that's why, uh, you know, it's the, the market's going to cry for it and demand it. So uh, really, this is, is about making the Internet a utility like like the other utilities. I mean, is it already a utility? If the FCC I, I think is it's, involved, I think it's getting there. I mean, when we get to the point where every house has uh, an internet jack or something, and you plug into it, and it says, "What internet service provider do you want to use? Enter your credit card here." I think that's when it's finally reached the utility stage. And there are other countries where it's like that. You know, Sweden it? and South Korea uh, have a very high internet penetration, and, and they've got fiber all over the country. And and uh, you can choose from, you know, a dozen Internet providers when you plug into that, Jack. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's also, I guess, to the end user, just being a business person, if they, again, I can't have my ISP extorting me for me to run my business. And if I need bandwidth and they're just going to keep upping my prices, uh, I'm in trouble. So some of this yeah. is just keeping keeping security in our markets, right? Security in in the in the customers, and, and, and openness and evenness and yeah. fairness. Uh, yeah, those are all parts of this net neutrality equation. 
if uh, if you um, are competing against an Amazon and uh, Amazon has an agreement with the Internet service providers or one of the, the transit providers to say, well, pri- prioritize our traffic. Oh, there you go. It's all the harder for this, this small guy to get ahead. I mean, really, it's kind of like the mafia. I mean, it's, I mean, in a weird way, it's like, hey, we won't beat you up if you just make your payment. Yeah, well, that's why I call it extortion. It, it, it's really interesting. But then all of a sudden, just to get priority, I mean, that's then you've got collusion, right? So now we've got companies growing other companies. And, you know, we've already got Apple at $800 billion or whatever it is in value. I mean, that's it's a weird deal all of a sudden when you start uh, having the top two or three companies colluding, too. Yeah, uh, but there, there's also another dimension to this that a lot of people aren't aware about. So I have a, uh, a very small homespun network here in Utah. And in order to get my traffic to other parts of the Internet, I have to either uh, buy access or exchange access with other companies. Uh, And since about uh, the late 90s, what we started doing is going into what they call uh, uh, peering exchanges, where traffic is handed off to other entities. And that's how the Internet works. You Mm -hmm. you you don't have one entity that owns the whole thing. Right. You have to exchange at these peering locations, and right now we exchange with Facebook, we exchange with Netflix, we exchange with Apple. Um, but if we want to exchange with Comcast, we got to pay to do it. Hmm. And for a small network provider, um, that that's uh, a, a rough proposition in that they, you know, again, it's very expensive to exchange with their network. Yet a lot of our customers. Uh, you know, maintain their websites from the Comcast network or they access our websites from the Comcast network, it would be beneficial for those Comcast subscribers to connect directly to us. Yeah. But Comcast is demanding that we pay them to directly internet in, interconnect our networks, even though Apple doesn't care, Google doesn't care, yeah, they want, Facebook yeah. doesn't care. The more the merrier with those companies. Right. Yeah, they're happy to connect to anybody, and maybe it's because they're more on the content side than the internet side. But there's this there's this opinion I think in uh, that, that comes from the the telephone companies and the cable companies that we're somehow stealing something if we connect directly to their network. Uh, when in fact our data has to get there anyway. It's right. just going to take it's just going to go out to Denver before it gets here. You know, <laughs> it's it uh, it's it's a matter of making it more efficient when we interconnect, but. Uh, they're not very accommodating when it comes to that. It seems like um, that's why, to me, it doesn't necessarily feel like a utility model because it, it is more about your relationships with all of these other providers in that peering kind of network that that make it run. And yet the government can't. It's not wires. We don't own those. We I mean, Those are relationships. But, right. So it's like, it's almost – I don't know. I just don't know how you – I guess that gets into the legislation of all of this. I mean I guess we could legislate certain things, but then aren't – isn't this just going to turn into a bunch of lawsuits? Uh, and I'm sure that what the FCC commissioner is proposing is, is going to result in lawsuits from Comcast and Verizon and such. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that they're not going to go easily into that, that quiet night. They're, they're going to fight it and they're going to try and hold on to their monopolies. Um, but – I, I think that this, this is not a partisan issue. I mean, there have been some really ignorant statements from from Ted Cruz about net neutrality. Yeah, but I think a lot of uh, uh, Republicans as well as Democrats uh, recognize that this is 
an essential part of our lives now that it's something that we need and if somebody is not playing fair if somebody's being anti-competitive on the internet if somebody is being held over the barrel uh the the government does need to step in and say hey knock it off yeah it's almost once the money yeah once the money starts getting in I mean, what's scary is just the example you gave of Comcast. All of a sudden, you know, if Apple could start making a margin, then let's just all start charging the small users, the ex-missions, just a little bit. And then yeah. run you out. But I guess that would right. decrease their network, right? So in the end, they're shooting themselves. I think that, that again, everyone has a an interest in keeping the other players running. Right. I mean, it's it's uh, but running where you are, not not gaining too much. Right. I mean, I I I think that there's a, a balance in in this that uh, is is somewhat out of whack right now, and it has uh, gone that way because uh, of the lack of, of government support for municipal infrastructure like utopia, yeah. uh, and the, the dominance, uh, and the growth of, uh, a lot of these players since, uh, the year 2000. Yeah. Does, uh, does this whole, as part of this, I guess, regulation, they, they've basically changed the standard, uh, where it's, it went from 10 M megabytes per second to 25. Is that relevant? Does that matter to any of us? Um, I think it's it matters in the sense that a lot of people were advertising broadband that wasn't. Yeah. So, uh, and for the consumer, uh, I, you know, my opinion of broadband is it's not anything less than a hundred megabits. Yeah. At this stage, um, and we're still way behind uh, some of the more uh, advanced countries like Sweden and South Korea. What do they run? What do they? What's their average? A gigabit. I mean, that wow. is pretty much everyone get, can get a gigabit uh, for you know under a hundred bucks a month. So oh, that's Sweden. Okay, yeah. got to write that down. And, and, so, and South Korea, for that matter, and you know, to some extent, Japan and South Korea. Yeah. Oh my heck! We, come on! <laughs> I know. Are you kidding? It's embarrassing. I mean, it is as embarrassing. Far as internet penetration. We invented the thing. I know. And yet we're you know we keep falling in the rankings. I mean, last I checked, we were 18th in the in the world as far as uh, internet speeds and penetration. <laughs> Good old USA. Yeah. Bring it up right in the middle of the pack. I mean, again, <laughs> oh, it's so frustrating because, um, yeah, I guess it's the money, too. I mean, dial it down, get more people on. Talk to me one more thing I really have got to know. I've got to know. Having just bought two smart TVs mm-hmm. and about six different devices, um, are, are we going to run out of bandwidth? You know, I, when I was uh – first starting out on the internet in the, in the mid 90s there were people that were saying we're going to hit a wall yeah um, we're going to there's there's we don't have enough processing power um, but the amount of bandwidth we're moving around today is is vastly beyond what they were predicting so uh, i think there is a, a big financial motivator for uh, companies like juniper and cisco to, to make faster and faster uh, routers um, i mean the, there are university research research in, um, on how fast we can make bandwidth go that that goes into the terabits yeah um, and and the capacity of fiber uh, is so vast um, that if we are able to get fiber out there and 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 start uh, actively laying it not only on the private side but on the public side uh, I think fiber will will hold us for a long time to come yeah um, so I, I don't see a bandwidth wall and and really you you got to I, I never thought that I would want a gigabit at home when yeah. I first started out. Who would out. need you know, a gigabit? Started, 
yeah. X Mission had a 1.5 megabit line <laughs> and and five modems. You know, yeah, uh, started smoking. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, I, I never thought I'd have a gigabit at home, but I, I sure would like one now. And, yeah, that's cool. Uh, services like uh, 4K TV and, and possibly down the road 8K <sighs> TV are, are going to demand that kind of bandwidth. I know. I have friends that are already shooting videos for YouTube in 4K, and I, I almost just feel like the minute that gets pulled down on somebody's computer or television, you know, your you know, X mission starts to overheat. <laughs> well, it's a significant amount of our our uh, traffic. I mean, when when uh, people go home at night and they start watching Netflix, our uh, utilization uh, on the internet almost quadruples. Really, versus you know the nine to five business activity. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a really weird world, and I guess too maybe you know if the, if the FCC is going to get involved and they're going to start regulating, then maybe have them start investing in fiber optic. <laughs> across the country build that network now it can turn more into a utility what about I, I, you know, i'm all i'm all for that i mean I if mean, you're going to uh, get involved then put your money in and start building us networks yeah one of the, one of the things that got electricity across this country was the rural electrification program yeah where the federal government said we're not going to build it but we will give you low interest or no interest loans to build it yourself mm-hmm. and uh, a number of uh, municipalities and and uh, cities got on board with that and built their electric uh, infrastructure, and a lot of them still run it to this day. I think more cities in Utah have municipal uh, electric yeah. uh, than they have private electric. Oh yeah, that's um, a big deal. You know, down in Provo, for example. Hey, as we wrap municipal electric, as we wrap it up, um, do we? I mean, too. To me, it seems like one of the great threats of the future is probably more of an internet attack. Pulling down the web, which could seriously, you know, talk about throttling. Um, does this in any way make the internet safer? Does it make it safer? I mean, it, with with such regulation from the FCC coming in, would it make would it make it safer for our kids to not have junk thrown on some of the sites? Would it be regulated more tightly that way? Would it would it be safer from an attack, terrorist attack? Uh, I'd say no, okay. <laughs> because back well, to that that you can't control exactly. the exactly. I know issue, and and we're talking about the content layer. Yeah, and uh, you know the the media companies f- since the internet was popularized in 1995 have been trying to stop people from downloading music and movies, and they spent a lot of money uh, doing that, and yet it still continues. Um, I think the uh, on the issue of security, that's a whole other matter. Um, I have a, not a lot of faith in the government as far as uh, what they call cybersecurity goes. Um, so yeah. I, I think that's more up to the individual operators like X Mission. It's I mean it really is. It's it's funny. It seems like we're at this convergence of technology and government ability, and yeah. So something almost it almost like we need something different than the FCC, like just different than a government entity. That can handle the complexity, and yet maybe that doesn't exist. Maybe well, we're, I, you know. this is the argument I made when I ran for office. You know that it would be nice if we had somebody in uh, in government uh, or the Congress that understood technology. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know that wasn't enough of a message to <laughs> to win my election. Yeah, but I, I'm still I've still got my. Fingers crossed that somebody will step up and, and win one of those elections and go back and start steering the ship. I love it, and maybe all you need is just a real big internet blackout, and then you're in. You're yeah, in, Pete. Maybe. <laughs> Let's not hope for that. Hey, Pete, so appreciate you. Great insight. Uh, thanks for, for making this a little bit easier to understand. 
You're welcome. Anytime. Take care. Uh, again, Pete Ashdown, X Mission is the name of his company. If you want to go check that out, uh, great stuff. So much we need to learn, and we all just kind of, you know, they, the news throw they throw it out like we all know what we're talking about. But having somebody like Pete to explain it, give us some insights, great stuff. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be introducing you to one of the new team members of the Matt Townsend Show. It's going to be fun. Uh, Just a little intro and a little hazing moment right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. That's the hoedown music. Pump that up a bit there, James. This is Terry's first chance to hear the hoedown music. Ho- hoedown music? This is the hoedown. Listen, right. this, is, this is where it gets funky. Where they you hear that? Break it down a little bit? Yeah. All right. That's the bumblebee. <laughs> you should hear it. James has been mixing this music for years. He take this. He, he he proposed to his his girlfriend. Well, he hasn't proposed yet. He will someday propose to that song, using that song. That Mad right? juice harp skills. That's all I have this to say. Guy. Does she listen? <laughs> yes, she does. Is she he going to give it away before you propose? Oh, he announces my proposal every day. Actually, okay. Yeah, uh, we like to be fresh, new. We like to know things before they even happen. <laughs> the okay. Funny, the funny thing about it, uh, I don't even um, know her name. Actually, the he only one on the team who doesn't know the name. He won't, they won't name. let me know her name. I'm pretty sure it starts with an M. That's pretty smart. Yeah. And I think it's Maggleby's. Maggleby's. That's where I'm going today. Okay. Myrtle? Myrtle. Oh, Myrtle. We haven't used Myrtle. McClintock's a popular McClintock. one. McClintock. McClintock. All right. It's a difficult name with a lot of c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-c-
Yeah, so this is a piece of cake. I, I was amazed I got married. The like cool, I had no free time, but she's like, "Okay, I'm good with it." You got it. I'm like, "Great." This is a this is I think really fun for the show too. We've got we've got some seriously great talent, and uh, the neat thing about it is BYU Broadcasting is putting some some effort to to make this thing work. So it's if if this doesn't work, it's pretty much your fault, Terry. Yes, that's what I was told. Is that what you're told? Yeah, I, I need I need to put my thumb yeah. print, I guess, on this show. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. if it if it's a if it's a problem, it's all me. It's totally if I if I were you, I would start with James though. Okay. James he's a loose cannon. All over the place. He's he's troubled. Oh, I've, I've noticed in most don't, situations don't look behind you. Don't, criticism please. starts at the top and goes downhill. So whoever's yeah. at the bottom gets it all. It always gets I, look, right. look who just came in there. Hey Don. Hey. Oh, Don. Come in, Don. Come in. Come in. Grab a mic. Don Don's here. Don, Matt Townsend. Matt Don, Townsend in the morning. Don's the boss. You know, the, the thing I like best about all of this is that Matt comes in his pajamas now. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know what? And by the way, the zipper on my um, footsie pajamas, it was stuck, and I couldn't undo it until Terry got here. Probably. The, the trouble is it's not a zipper. That's Velcro. Oh, that's the problem. I think it's cool, though, that you have a different set of footies every single day. Oh, yeah. Like today it's a monkey. Yeah, did you see that? That's cool. Hey, did you, did you um, Don... Yes. That's have right. you met Terry? Yes, I have, as a matter of fact. Terry South's <laughs> our new producer. Terry is uh, is a very qualified gentleman here. We, we thought we'd bring a little class to the show. <laughs> it's you been sorely lacking. Honestly, <laughs> so grateful. But, I mean, Terry, like the net neutrality discussion we just had, I was talking to Terry before the show, and he knew everything about it. Did he? Yeah, everything. See, right there. Boom. He's already you like, got somebody that actually knows what we're talking about. I think there's a real new uh, there's something going on. There's a new we, element yeah, to the show. Now I've got to study just to keep up with Terry, unless we just get Terry to do it. Um, so tell us what you th- what's the vision of the show, Don? The vision of this show, the Matt Townsend show. Uh, we all know and love Matt Townsend as a guy who uh, will tell you his opinions and uh, not be afraid to do that, yeah. and also do it in a way that is kind of. Uh, Fun and, and yeah, you don't know. You didn't know I did it. No, no, you'll you'll enjoy that. Subtle, uh, but on top of that, this is this is a way to start the morning where you've got um, things going on. You know, throughout the world, uh, the world churns on with all kinds of uh, uh, well, exciting as well as catastrophic yeah, type things. Horrible. And and we don't want to just uh, skate by those. We want to make sure that we talk about that as well and yeah. uh, help people kind of get a get a grip on uh, what. What that means in their lives, you yeah. know. I, I, I've got a family. I've got kids. Uh, got to go through the day. Uh, something big happening over in the Mid East or, or wherever it happens. Uh, how does that impact me? Doesn't directly, but there are a lot of ways that that does impact. Oh yeah. Me. Well, and you, you hear it in the news, and you're supposed to know what it means. Yeah. And that's one of the goals I know we have is I want to educate. So when we talk about the Ukraine and Russia. I want to get somebody on that knows what they're talking about. And it's, so it's not just about the policy or that decision of the day. It's about what's going on. Now you need – this is why people are worried about Russia or yeah. Putin or – Yeah. And and along the way, too, we can have some fun. You can have you fun. Know, yeah. You know, we also – there are things like what's the latest movie out or things like that. We can certainly uh, fold that in. But, right. hey, the point is have we, we love having uh, people all across this great nation of ours tuning in to us. Uh, they, they tune in whether it's uh, – uh, on Sirius XM, or they stream uh, on our website. More and more people are uh, picking us up on their uh, their iPhones, their droids, and things like that. The tablets, and yeah. uh, that's a great way to listen. Well, I think we got a great a great deal. And Don, thanks for coming in. I sure. mean, 
I, I, I just was actually coming to get a pen. Uh, I thought you were actually going <laughs> to get rid of us or something. No, no, Matt, you're doing great. Just Terry, thanks for being here, too. Uh, you'll hear a ton from Terry. Again, Sean's sticking around. Sean's not going anywhere. He's locked and loaded. Uh, we're going to take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show back for hour number three right after the break.